Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to What Are You Doing, Movie? Go ahead and pop in your DVD or Blu-ray of Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid. Press play and press pause when the 20th Century Fox logo fades to black at the first frame you perceive of all black. Press pause, and in a second I'll say 3, 2, 1, unpause. At which point I'll press play, you'll press play, and we'll watch the movie together in perfect sync. It'll be like any other commentary, except of course with four friends in your head. Parentheses.com, in parentheses. Those friends, the speaker, myself, as always, T. Christie, my friend Brian William Venifter. Greetings. Michael Dorkman Scott. Hello. And Trey, the Sundance Stokes. That's my real name. I, I love this movie. Uh, it's kind of an odd duck, though. Um, I, I actually kind of grew up with this one. I've seen this one a lot. And in doing the research in the last couple of days to really catch myself up on it and watching, uh, you know, behind the scenes shit, reading uh, timely articles from when it was released and things like that, it kind of grew a bit into being like this sort of unassailable staple because at the time the reviews were kind of mixed and people were kind of shitting on Paul Newman and it was, it's kind of odd and then for me watching it the other day with four years of this podcast eyes there's also some really odd tonal choices not tonal shifts just tonal choices it's a really it's when you try to actually pin down the level of, of levity versus the level of seriousness it's kind of tricky to figure out for this movie because it's it seems like it's written like a comedy and, and played a little bit more straight than that which gives it a very odd vibe but it's also kind of fun and inviting uh, which is nice because older movies sometimes can be a little bit standoffish, I find, and some of them are racist. <laughs> <laughs> this one's a little bit Basically sexist. Basically like old people, you know, it's the same thing. Yeah. But uh, Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid is a lot of fun, and uh, it's I, I watch it for Paul Newman myself, but Robert Redford does a great job and everyone else as well. So Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid. Brian? How do you feel? <laughs> uh, it's a. It is. An, it's it always is, iffy to do these classic movies because it's yeah, like. It's like what am I going to say? I don't a, like Butch Cassidy. Yeah. Um, We're going to see what history says about this movie. Yeah. Honestly, what are we going to add to the great conversation about Butch <laughs> Cassidy and Sundance Kid? We're just trying to get the kids who listen to us to watch something other than fucking Transformers. That's what this is about. Yeah. yeah. It is odd. Like the structure of it and the tone is is odd. I just. I think the best way to describe it, at least from a modern perspective, is it's just kind of rough around the edges. It's not as finely polished or, or sanded down you know with nice round corners more modern stuff is which is on one hand really fascinating and on, on the other hand like the Seinfeld is not funny kind of trope in, oh, this, yeah. in the sense of this is really revolutionary in terms of the western tropes and genre that it's it's reversing and kind of adding subtlety to but it doesn't feel like a revelation. It doesn't feel like now. a revelation, you know, 40 years after the fact. So it's like, okay, yeah, I can appreciate it for the classic that it is, but it wasn't this huge revelation that I think it was at the time. <laughs> Dorkman? Yeah, I, uh, it was really useful for me to, to look into some of the behind the scenes, you know, reading adventures in the screen trade and listening to the commentaries and stuff like that, because I also would not have necessarily clued into how revolutionary it was. I mean, in, yeah. in all of those things, Goldman likes to drive home the point. He's like... In no other Western would the hero run away. Yeah. They did not want me to do that. <laughs> they, yeah. Like, they, they didn't want to let me do that either. But it was like, that's what really happened. Because this is, you know, essentially a biopic in some ways yeah. of, of Butch Cassidy yeah. and the Sundance Kid. It's not it's a, a biopic we- as much as they could do, yeah. given how much they knew about their lives. Exactly. Yeah. So it's, it's, it's in a weird place where it's kind of a biopic. And so, therefore, it's not exactly a Western adventure. It's kind of turning a lot of those things on its head and stuff like that. It's definitely enjoyable. The, the relationship between the two characters definitely holds up and uh, but yeah the tone is really odd like you said and and structurally it's kind of like yeah so it's interesting there are I, I don't think it's super slow paced like I'm not like expecting it to be nuts all the time and I actually like how a lot of it is kind of long takes and and it's not going out of its way especially compared to the script which cuts like every other line because um, it's directing on the page but it does feel kind of slow paced there are parts where it's like uh, edited today this would probably be a 90 minute movie 
you know that you'd you'd probably cut a good twenty I don't think minutes it's much more than ninety minutes as it is. It's it's one hundred ten. Okay, so it's it's not a long movie, no. but it does kind of feel a little long because yeah. it drags in a few places. But um, but we'll talk about it. They're running away from the plot for the first like middle thirty <laughs> yeah. minutes. Of the Trey, we're getting closer and closer to movies that came out before you were born. Yeah, but not I, there yet, but closer. But I, but I saw this one in the theater. Uh, unlike, really? Oh, yeah, this was a big movie. You had to go see this one. But you were a kid. Like, well, what's seventy three or whenever this no, movie? No, sixty nine. You would have been like nine. Seventy three was uh, the sting. Yeah, um, yeah, the sixty nine. But uh, but I'd absolutely, I may have seen a revival of it. Um, they did re-release it a couple which times. Which was released. Oh, okay. uh, so I, I honestly don't remember. I may have well caught it on television first. And then finally, you know, years later, I finally get to hear them say shit when they jump off the cliff. Yay! <laughs> it's fantastic. They, that was the running joke even then. I said, well, they, yeah, they cut the shit out of Butch Cassidy. But, <laughs> um, but yeah, it's, it, was always, it was always a big thing, this movie. It was always a known thing, and it would be on television a lot, and I would certainly always watch it whenever it was on TV. So I knew it pretty well. And, uh, and then hadn't watched it in quite a while, and then when we started talking about doing it, I finally watched it again. But I really realized that mostly I was remembering the key scenes and the highlight moments so there's like five like indelible right. scenes in this movie and then there's the things that happen in between that I really didn't remember so much I realized <laughs> I was like oh I totally forgot there was this whole scene where this was going on and this and, this. and so yeah my discovery was that wow it doesn't fully hold up to modern eyes like like uh, like Mike said it's it's got some sections that you go well this is, you know they, they would probably tighten this up nowadays it's worth it's something to see it's not something that I can full-throatedly go it's the most awesome movie ever strangely enough after I did that I caught up with the sting and I maintain the sting is is the most awesome movie ever the sting has not lost a step it looks just as contemporary and now and holds up and doesn't have an, an ounce of filler in it and moves like a freight train even by modern standards it's amazing um, so so Butch Cassidy is like your gateway to the sting really but uh, they make quite a pair then you should see both of them if you consider yourself a person who likes movies whatever you gotta do to get into it we're gonna That's start right. with Butch Cassidy you're at the point where the 20th century Fox logo has faded to black as I am here put your finger on the button three two one on pause what's weird you were talking about uh there being the one shit in this movie because it's you know i think there's, a, there's sure. a lot of revisionist history that goes on with previous generations about how they were and how they spoke and all that stuff but it's always just sort of this thing like in the culture that you're pretty sure people didn't cuss 20 years ago like yeah. every single generation so like, we totally did yeah exactly and you know you just tell this, you we didn't you just hold back to the future thing we're so you watch this you. movie and it's like oh my god i said shit in it that's crazy but if you watch like the making of that there's on on this dvd that i that i got from blockbuster it's a concurrent making of that he did while the movie was like being made and he was recording it before it was finished and it's it's the exact same contemporary period as this is being made and he is cussing up a storm yeah. like he's yeah. like i didn't give a shit about this and fuck this and this girl was fucking stupid and like he's like it's like the most adorably accessible it's, thing. It's it's really to me because of I love Lucy and stuff. It's like it's the fifties where sex and cursing did not yet exist. Like in my mind, yeah. that's that's. But totally then, then that you is. go back to you know Mad Men or whatever and go, yeah, okay, yeah. yeah. So it's just was, not it's not in the media of the time. Yeah, no, but exactly. Uh, although Mad Men's up to like nineteen sixty eight now or something. Yeah, they're close. They're closing bizarre. on the seventies. They're going to catch up to us pretty soon. But um, but yeah, <laughs> it's, it's like totally newsroom, true. but crazy. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's I mean you know it's shit. like newsroom and Downton Abbey just. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, shit goes back to at least the Middle Ages. Yeah, you know, and so it's uh, and so does fuck and, yeah, and yeah. all of that. It's like they're it's been with they're us for like four hundred years old. Um, so the, you, you the, hear that, kids? So that's yeah. right. So uh, so the opening of this, I mean, the whole the whole sort of overall thrust, and again, Goldman talks about this is is that he wanted to get into this the idea of the Western mythology versus the reality, the reality and what it might have been like, and and the and the fact that that uh, Butch and Butch Butch particularly 
you know, was was a, was an idolized hero at the time. He was one of those guys, even more so than Billy the Kid. He tells this stories about how, you know, Butch would ride up to a farmhouse and go, "Hey, the posse's chasing me. Can I hide in your barn?" And they go, "Yeah, absolutely." You know, go. Holy shit! Will you sign my salad <laughs> yeah, dressing? Exactly. Butch Cassidy hid <laughs> out in my barn. It was awesome. So Butch was like the folk hero who. And the point about Butch was, you know, he would rob banks, but he never killed anybody. He never shot anybody. He certainly wasn't a cold-blooded, you know, gunslinger killer. Right. So it was all about how he, you know, he was just a guy who, like, I rob banks because I don't really know how to do anything else. He's, he's sort of a, a slightly dark, less dark version of uh, of uh, De Niro from Heat, really. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. How to, that's all I do. That's what I do. It's, it's, it's funny because it's this movie, it, it because it is not acting like a stereotypical Western film, uh, insofar as it's not being idolizing and black hat, white hat, although, you know, joke, but it's not <laughs> yeah. being like that. It's not being so cut and dried that it feels like your instinct would be to think that this is way more realistic, but I don't even know if it's way more realistic. I think they just went basically as far on the other side of just making it sympathetic and sort of nice seeming and sort of placid. Like this movie ends pretty hard with a, like a, oh Jesus, but for the entire time it is fucking lovely like it makes this whole thing seem kind of nice it's still it's still a romanticized uh kind of world in some ways but yeah so they they yeah. didn't, they certainly didn't get away from that they didn't they didn't do it the way you would have them do it today which is you know butch would be fucking losing half his face to syphilis and there would be like <laughs> like that if you really wanted to get yeah, into like, what it's, it's, it's really deadwood, like that's that's for sure. yeah deadwood in the sundance kid exactly yeah. um so it's not doing that although it is interesting how how modern it feels in terms of being this is all in close-ups and it's very impressionistic as opposed to having establishing shots and master shots and stuff like that you get you you'll get some of that later but but right here it's it's all about yeah you you know how this works so at the beginning we had um the little title card that says most of what follows is true right which in, in, in the script they they omitted half of that line not that it matters not that it matters yeah. but most of what follows is true well, well, they, uh, you say that uh, goldman talks about the process of previews when they first previewed this movie it was too funny yeah and and they cut a lot of the the funnier stuff and, and including shaving that line down because mm-hmm. not that it matters was too flip so they took it down to most of what follows is true which is still funny yeah. i remember seeing it in the theater and and that that tard get, got a laugh just when it came on the screen but i i i do like the not that it matters part i, I, I think that's actually like really important to yeah the the underlying idea or philosophy of storytelling is like we're no we're lying to you yeah. and you and you know that we're lying yeah. to you but we're all going to agree that this is not a huge lie even when we're pretending to yeah, tell the like, truth like in a biopic it's like we all know we're lying to you right Fun fact: This is actually mostly true. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, we're gonna lie to you now, but the, yeah, just but, know, it, but it goes back to, it goes back to what uh, T was talking about. You know that it's this movie has a real interesting tone problem to deal with, and they were very con- they were very aware of that. And and apparently, in the first version of it, it, it skewed on the side of being too funny. Yeah, you know, which to- made the ending like a real left hook for the audience. It was too brutal an ending for the audience, so they they tried to take it down. So the ending. You know, was the gut punch they were going for, but it wasn't like the Red Wedding. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> you know, it, wasn't, it wasn't like what? It's like if the forty-year-old virgin ended where he finally had sex and immediately got AIDS and, and then and dropped yeah. dead. Oh my attack. god, he died! Yeah. yeah. So there's you know they tried it and they kept in all the scenes like the you know, the Jeff Corey scene is the one that really tells it where Jeff Corey goes, yeah, "There's no good ending to this. You guys are screwed. There's no way this ends up. This it's good for you. That's just that's the deal." Which so. that's a oddly prescient moment because I just saw the movie. This is the end, and it has a, a similar problem with a genius 
genius solution to that, but we'll talk about it once that movie's like not so spoiler bullish. It's brand new here at this particular point in yeah, time. Yeah, I haven't even seen it. So. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's, but it's, it's not technically even out yet. It's, <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's in pre- yeah. It's, I think it's in previews just in this t- in oh, our town. Is that why? Because I was like trying yeah. to figure out why there was like one screening just on like no, an it's, it's opening this weekend. But this is Thursday. Movies don't open till Friday in the normal world. That's weird. <laughs> so, it's cool. Well, unless it's, it's the, Star Wars. It's, or it's delightful. Although it actually it already has opened because now you know opening weekend starts on Wednesday. It's it's already like at thirty million, even though it hasn't even really opened yet. It's going to probably win the weekend. Anyway, but talking about the, that Star Trek. The, the, the structure of it and how you're basically on a one-way trip to everyone's going to die yeah. uh, since the beginning. But it, it does it, it does is, the thing in the in the it, 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 they also set the tone in that in the little um, the silent movie, which fun fact was actually directed by a silent movie director who was still wor- alive and working at the time. Oh wow! Um, but but. Uh, Goldman or someone on on set made the point and they were like he was already like super old <laughs> like, yeah. like in 1968 yeah, this guy was super old, old so um but he was a he was a a guy who had done silent movies and and so he was basically second unit director and and George Roy Hill wanted to direct everything himself but he had a conversation with this guy and this guy came on the location scout and he's like nope you do that part <laughs> that that you, you got you it, got this you got this absolutely um but the tone that we're but, like, but it it says right there the hole in the wall gang is all dead now so yeah, it's exactly. it's yeah. sort of like a moulin rouge thing where it's like it sets it right up front they're all going to die yeah oh, and now we're going to take you, the rest of the you movie you say well it was that. it was you know it was 100 years time, ago yeah at the time it was only 70 years ago strangely right. enough i mean you know this 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 takes place around 1900 is the actual era that right. this is happening which is kind of hard so now to it's like watching a movie about the 60s exactly it's it's weird it's it is funny it's it in my brain i realized like i have to i i, I need a recalculation of like my how long ago things were yeah <laughs> because, because to me it's like you know world war ii was like 20 years ago because that's what it was when i was growing up <laughs> right. now it's like more like 70 years ago okay fine right. um, this, by the way, i just had the same thought about the vietnam war because the vietnam yeah, there, war yeah. growing up is 20 years ago for uh, me that no? was yesterday now here's a weird thing you can't tell because he doesn't have his trademark mustache but that's sam elliott uh, no way, Sam Elliott, who Big you might know debut. from as uh, you know the the dude abides and and from every Western yeah, beef. It's what for dinner. But that's Sam Speaking Elliott. of how long ago this was, exactly. That's <laughs> the young Sam Elliott dude right there. But that's Sam Elliott without a mustache and being he's, young, um, and, and he's so great. Yeah, and the other weird fun fact that I just found out last week that I never knew is he's married to Catherine Ross and has been for th- huh. for 20 some years but not on this movie they didn't meet because they're not in the same, they're not in any scenes together they were both in this movie but they didn't meet on this movie they met years later on another movie and they've been married since like the 80s that's amazing huh. so I, I was you know because Catherine Ross had you know she had a huge bombshell of her career right then right at this era you know The Graduate and, and this and uh, you know several other big movies at the time and then kind of disappeared off the radar and that's mostly because she you know, I think was raising little Sam Elliott's, and uh, <laughs> so and good for them. No easy feat, that though. Yeah. No, but talk about the tone though. What the, the, the I'm trying to put my finger on why it is what it is. Like my best guess so far is what I said in the intro, which is it was written funny and played warmly. I want to. All right, can we talk about just the scene that we just finished real quick? Where sure. the sepia tone bar scene, the the end of the sepia tone bar scene, where he shoots the the gun belt off the other guy and then literally shoots the gun, you know, into the corner, uh, the other guy's gun into the corner of the room. Uh, in Adventures in the Screen Trade, William Goldman, one, one of the amazing thing about this book is like he gives you the whole screenplay so you can read it. And then he talks it like he deconstructs his own screenplay. He yeah. goes, this is what's bad about it. This is what I think is pretty good about it. This is what I hate, and et cetera. And it's amazing. Uh, but he hates that scene because <laughs> it's not, in his words, like it's not real. It yeah. could yeah. never happen in and real he, life. He can't, think, he can't wrap his mind around how that would even work. Yeah, yeah. Like, how that he's would work so in, upset. In real it's, life. It, it, it's, a, it's a 
the oldest Western trope there is. Yeah. You know, it's like shooting the gun out of someone's hand, maybe just barely in the realm of possibility. Yeah. But shooting, how do you shoot someone's gun belt off without blowing their nuts the, off? The, like yeah. shoot off his sock, then his shoe, then shoot <laughs> yeah. off the yeah, other yeah. sock, then the other shoe. But I just think it's that's shoot on the so air conditioning telling that that aspect he can't wrap his brain around and he can't come to grips with it. But when, he still put it in there. He's well, he that's, still put it in there. But in terms of how the movies and the kind of the, at least the popular genres of action or western or whatever particular form they take so much more ridiculous shit exactly along those lines oh, yeah. happens yeah. every day in in movies like this and there's he was just, taking it seriously man he well there's there's that quality i think that makes william goldman <laughs> william goldman in the sense of how how could this possibly be real how can i make this real how can i ensure that this whatever i'm depicting has a certain amount of reality to it that's is by and large not as present in the stuff well, that he, but he also knows he also knows when to go I, you know what yeah. nobody cares and i need this moment and yeah. well, it's yeah. funny because the director has a very similar thing he has a scene in this movie that he hates he talks about it in that behind the scenes thing he made before the movie came out <laughs> where he's like he's dropping knowledge and talking shit about people that he's clearly going to like see the next <laughs> yeah. week it's see so it it's so crazy but he says there's a one particular scene that he fucking hates because he and he says fucking fucking hates <laughs> because it doesn't seem plausible at all and he wishes that it wasn't in the movie do you know what it was i do because you told me but, yeah. so i won't you guys uh no it's one of the biggest laughs in the movie is it the the, the jump off the cliff no it's the exploding the, exploding uh no and, and thank god because that's real because that's true yeah, yeah, yeah that, that happened yeah, yeah, that's yeah, one yeah. of the true things but uh the fat lady and, and then uh, redford grabs her and then the rest of it is just butch pretending butch pretending butch to be her voice oh, okay. he wanted to lose that scene so hard okay where it's like oh you know, and and our father who aren't yeah, yeah the whole and, thing and what's funny is he wanted to lose that scene and Goldman hates that scene too <laughs> yeah so, so it's like, like so why what? is it in there how did that end the up? editor was just like no yeah because yeah, there's no idea. Well, there's no other way to get does that he door say because it's like you know yeah this it's if they didn't have any other way to for him because that's that's the scene is that's why right that's why Woodcock opens the door um, this by the way um, you know it is it, it's another thing when you saw the movie at the time it, you know we're all going is that Lurch. Is that Lurch? Is it Lurch? That's Lurch. Wow. Nice. That's Ted Cassidy. Pull, he's pulling off that mustache. That's Ted Cassidy, who is, you know, I would really like to be in something and not be Lurch, please. He's, well, <laughs> yeah. he's great. And he's, yeah. You know, he's, he's a scary dude. Yeah. Obviously very intimidating, yeah. I mean, he did a lot of TV at the time. You know, Lurch just was, you oh, know. He's got a Malcolm Reynolds thing going on where guy he's that, leaning you know, down. That was the series that just made him the indelible character of Lurch. You know. But I love it. even did a Star Trek and people don't even remember that one, but uh, there you go. The guy in the background, News, uh, their buddy who is the one who likes to read his name in the paper. Uh, yeah. He, for some reason, strikes me as incredibly modern. Like, he mm, feels like yeah. a character that just walked out of the TV show Deadwood. Not the world of Deadwood. The TV show. Like, he has a very particular way of talking uh, where he's delivering it in such a way that it feels exactly like a modern version of this character, not a 60s version of this character. Something just about his smile or the way he talks. The guy reading is. here? Yeah, him. Like, when you actually hear him talk, it's oh, I, I like this part. He actually reminds me of E.B. Farnham from Deadwood, particularly. Yeah. But... <laughs> Just something about the particulars of how he's talking and what he's saying doesn't There's, sound like 60s trying to do 1900. It sounds like now trying to do 1900. There's something timeless about character actors in general. Like, this guy seems more like a character actor. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And there's the guy, something the guy, more timeless uh, about character actors. Whatever his name is, the, the, the colorful guy later uh, at the, at the mine. Just Martin. Martin. Towards, yeah, towards the end. He also feels like... If you put this exact same guy and this exact same performance in a modern movie, it would not yeah. feel out of place. Yeah, but Strother Martin is is a is, is a stalwart of westerns. <laughs> he's, in, he's in every western of the era ever made. It's like it's it's he's the he's the trope. He's a trope in and of himself. 
Now, what's crazy is the thing that I always remember about this movie is that I don't remember Robert Redford ever talking in it. Like I can <laughs> picture, I can picture a bunch of um, Paul Newman's lines, <laughs> and then when I was watching the other night, I was thinking about that, and I realized that I, I feel like I should know more about Sundance than I do. Like I, I, I feel like I don't actually know his character very well because they talk about him even in the behind the scenes stuff about being like really hot tempered and he's kind of like he's kind of a sociopath don't freak him out because he'll just get drunk and shoot you but the, I don't ever get that vibe from him watching him. you don't it, the thing is it's not that it's not, he's the not vibe a very you, loud character it's not the vibe you get from him it's the way everybody else reacts to him yeah. it's it's he's just sitting there and you know there was certainly there was in the bar a, scene the, well there's the poker scene if yeah I had where known you were as, Sundance I wouldn't have yeah as soon as he hears his name he's like oh shit oh. sorry sorry really sorry sorry up. sorry and then and then right here like mid sentence, he's talking to he's talking to Butch, and he's going, "This don't concern you." He's like, <laughs> yeah, "I don't want no trouble with you. I don't, I don't want no trouble with you. Well, You're this, fine." This is the same kind of thing that that Unforgiven was was you know forty years later, another movie pl- played on the same idea, this idea of the the reputation preceding someone, which yeah. is certainly a a lot of the old west that we have this romantic version of of Billy the Kid. You know, Billy the Kid was actually a pretty nasty little bastard right you know and you know butch was one of the more gentlemanly you know type of highwaymen you know we would say is the archaic term um but uh, you know sundance yeah sundance was somewhere in the middle apparently historically he wasn't you know he wasn't he, he certainly got an upgrade by being played by robert redford in the movie he was he was a, a gunslinger but but uh, he actually had killed some people yeah um and and there's not there's not as much known about his background either so he did kind of just sort of show up and rode with Bush for a while and they presumably died together it's, although that's you know there's obviously that's in dispute too that uh, they they both died in Bolivia or not I mean they have great chemistry I just don't feel like I know well, anything about Sundance That's probably part of uh, probably part of the issue is it's it's difficult to see Sundance as a cold-blooded killer when you see the <laughs> amount of affection between him and Butch Yeah and Butch feels uh not docile but you know, warm. Yeah, he feels like an accessible villain. Yeah, but, <laughs> Butch is kind of Butch is kind of a dork, which is what I like about him. Yeah, and we also Goldman knows not to make the mistake, and he even talks about it with uh, what's the what's the name of the movie that he wrote with the killer lion in Africa, where he specifically uh, talks the about Ghost this. in the Darkness, the Ghost in the Darkness, where uh, he knows that you don't have to. To yeah, expound the, the whole, on every single detail of a character, explain the background, then yeah. the character, you, yeah, it's it's loses, basically loses he, importance. He knew about the Boba Fett syndrome long before Boba Fett <laughs> existed. Uh, it's like you don't have to. The less Boba Fett does, the cooler he is. So just leave yeah, him and, alone. And you don't talk about where he came from and what his background is, exactly. George. Exactly. Um, you know. And so he, he talks about you that specifically with uh, with the African Lion movie, where he tried to do that with a character there, and the studio just like wrecked it anyway. No, but uh, Michael I, Douglas wrecked. Michael it. Douglas, excuse me, who was Michael playing Douglas the character. Uh, but I think I think he's doing that here with. Uh, with Sundance it's just like part of it is an outgrowth of the fact that we just don't know that much about Sundance but Goldman knows enough that he doesn't have to you know put all that work in there when it doesn't exist on its own and when it doesn't serve function yeah I, I would agree with that if I liked Sundance but like I, I feel like this movie could be called Butch Cassidy like he's there he's he's in most of the scenes I just you know I get what they're I get what they hoped to have achieved with him which is the sort of kind of steely cool uh, he's there with the repartee, but he's also eyeballing your character. But I don't feel the weight of him. Well, actually, you know, be, what's interesting is that I think Goldman, in a sense, would be glad to hear you say that. Why? Because his, um, you know, according to him, him talking in his By book, the way, great save the cat right here. 
Yeah. Yeah. Just some just amazing. Saving he's, me, uh, he's robbing yeah, this guy. Ever. He just blew him up and he's like, Hey man, wake up, you okay? Yeah. You good? You, you just, cool? bu- just business. You Sorry know. about blowing your face off. Yeah. Yeah. I warned you. I told you to just open the door. Yeah. Goldman would like that? Goldman would like that because one of his one of his goals for this for this uh, uh, movie, which which he completely uh, acknowledges is not the movie that got made. Um, ultimately, it's it's not about what he he intended for it to be about. Um, what was his game? Is this is this idea of how people can never really know each other? No matter yeah. no matter how much time they spend together or how how you long could they even know have each these, other, you know, great relations, these close relations, and still at the end of yeah. your life, go. So, so oh, it turns the, out we didn't know each other. Yeah, so same with the names and all this. That. This, this uh, yeah. yeah, this it, very that, scene that, coming up. They that's don't, the clue that's still there. Yeah, the fact that they oh, they clearly they they've been working together, but they they've yet to find out what their real names are. Yeah. But he so at some, and I guess at some point they just kind of got revised there, away for the most part. There were a couple of there were a couple scenes to that effect, like later on after um, later on after the the dude in Bolivia gets shot, they're cowering behind the rocks and they're they have this existential moment of what are we doing here? Like what yeah. are we are we the are we the bad guys because we're tr- we're getting shot at for having the money? Like what is happening? And and uh, Butch talks about how he's he's like I've never known anything else and he he reveals that he used to have a wife and kids and they left him because he was in this outlaw thing and and Sundance is like I never knew you had <laughs> yeah, a wife what? and kids you know um and then uh there's another bit where it's really on the nose when uh when Edda is leaving uh she's she's about to leave it's during the scene which is which is cut and and Goldman doesn't know if it was even shot where they're watching the silent film we saw at the beginning that wasn't originally going to be they watch that about themselves and and they have again this weird existential moment of watching themselves being killed on screen I think it was shot because I think I saw footage of it in the bottom of his hands Um, but then she's she's leaving and there's like an awkward moment and she was like oh you thought this was gonna like the line is almost literally I I I'm looking on your face and I can tell you thought this was going to be a sentimental, a big old sentimental thing. We've known each other for years and we don't know each other at all, you know? Um, That's, and then well, she, it she is on the nose, but it's a pretty sounding line. Yeah. Um, so, so that was more in there, but again, most of that stuff is gone and really the only thing that's left is this business with the name. So that, that theme doesn't really land at all. That's uh, and of course you also have the slightly differently developed Sundance, which kind of feels weak for me, but not for everyone. I love this scene. This is also one of the other very pure and very evident um, sort of reversals on a trope, where it's like the sheriff gets up, and he's going to round up the whole town, yeah. come do this thing, torches and pitchforks. Who's bringing their horse? And they're all bored as fuck. <laughs> Who's bringing their gun? It's like uh, why are they even standing there? We can provide you a horse. Anyone? It's, it's like they're standing there because they know they have to as part of the trope, but they're not into it either. Yeah. In fact, exactly. you know, there's not a lot of entertainment in this town, yeah. so let's just watch the sheriff do his thing. It's adorable. <laughs> and of course, nobody goes with them. The other guy's like, "Well, you got the crowd up. I'm going to sell a bicycle." Which isn't it? Is it just me, or is that a very modern looking bike? I mean, I, I, I just, I guess I didn't know that there was normal looking bikes then too, and not just penny farthings. I think well, the, I, I think the modern bicycle was newly invented for that because the the large the big wheel bikes had been around for yeah they'd been around for a, a while. Decades this is kind of the new the new generation bike. It's it's a very simple bike. It doesn't have like reverse brakes or anything. It's just a chain drive. You can you know that's why you can ride it backwards and forwards. You know that's it's the kind of bike every kid wants now, so you can do the tricks on it. Right. But um, I think I think I think I did read somewhere that it's maybe slightly anachronistic the bicycle. But um, there was one in Maverick too. Remember that? That was weird. Yeah. Uh, apparently, bikes at the time, as as 
Goldman likes to say bikes were the video game of their of their yeah. era. Like everyone <laughs> yeah. was into bikes. They were ruining the youth. Yeah. That's right. It was just a terrible thing, and they were passing laws about it. Again, this, a, this a, apparently this guy was not the guy they cast for the bike salesman, and literally they got him from a casting director like the morning of this. Well, he's he's another, he's yet another character actor who's been in a hundred things. No, he's um, he's great. Exactly, he's he's been in all kinds of stuff that. Are, and of course, that's again that's Kenneth Mars as the sheriff. That's Kenneth <laughs> Mars is. He's uh, the the inspector from Young Frankenstein to the Lumberyard. He's wow. uh, he's the you know the mad German from the producers. He's uh, and a million other things as well. And the one that really freaks me out is this, I think it's this right here. Um, for years I've been like freeze framing this movie to even try and verify. But the, oh, Cloris Leachman is the hooker here. Yeah. And I'm like, you can't even see her face, you know, because she wasn't famous yet. So it's you know she became like a big thing like five years later you know she was became a big TV star so it's like Clarice Leachman in this tiny little role that you you never even see her face on camera really no but you can tell she's funny when she's ranting later and, and just going off on her own <laughs> yes exactly thing, and everyone's running in and out of the, the room a, and, my whole mental image of Clarice Leachman who played this you know very sort of uptight you know character on television you know and she's taking off her garters and stockings in this movie I'm like that, that's just so not Clarice Leachman I'm sorry it isn't oh but it is oh but it is so so here's one uh, I, I I think maybe you know it's funny now that you know the in- the internet has sensitized me to the phrase rape culture. Um, <laughs> <laughs> this scene kind of kind of feels a little weird now. I feel kind of weird about this scene now. I feel like I must have missed the point of this scene because I cannot understand it properly, and that can't be the explanation. I think they just like to play some yeah, games. It's a little this, it's the, a little the idea is, fetish. It's like okay. you were saying, you don't know who the Sundance Kid is, and you go, oh, he's going to rape a school marm tonight. All righty. And the punchline is, you know, this is... They're seeing each other. <laughs> yeah, this, yeah. Is, this is his girlfriend. And then also, what's her relationship with Butch? It's a very confusing it's thing. It's ambiguous. Yeah. It's, it's ambiguous. It's about as far as they could have gotten away with at the time. Yeah. It's actually interesting. And she says, I mean, she just says flat out, she goes, if I'd met, after the bicycle romp, she goes, if I'd met you first, don't you think? And he goes, eh, don't even talk about it. But, know, uh, she, she loves them both is basically the deal, but she's you know only sleeping with the one. Paul Newman's jerking off and crying every night. <laughs> yeah, well, and, and practicing Spanish, what you do. <laughs> but um, the uh, it is interesting getting uh, talking about that because another thing that's weird to think about Actually now. Actually holding the gun on her. That's, that's some pretty extreme play there. <laughs> yeah. All right. Love is just a blood although, sport. Although it is, it is worth noting that he, he never actually cocks it. So. Oh, he cocks he it. He does. does. Yeah. Oh, he cocks it hard. Oh, he yeah, he's doing it right now, right? Yeah. Is he? I don't I don't. There's, a, there's a moment he's, when he I was does. making okay. a joke about penises. I, yeah. Um, ah. yeah. But yeah. But. She likes it scary, I guess. Yeah, she, um, she likes this, it. This would be fear sex. It's, it's, yeah. it's boring otherwise. You know, it's, it's been a while. But it's, it's, in the theater, I mean, the first time I saw this movie, and again, it feels like I was in a theater, um, and it's, you know, kind of, I might not have even seen this scene on television, depending on where it was being aired, but uh, but the, um, you know, it, it totally bought it, because you, you, you know, you don't know the story, you don't know what this is about, and it's kind of like, you know, wow, that's messed up, you know, and the, the her, her line, I wish you, you know, just once, I wish you'd be on time. Would, again in the theater big laugh you know it's the payoff where you go oh, oh thank god, god. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> that was a close one yeah, yeah, see, there's, I thought he raped now guy, like, oh there he is do yeah. it she's like wow okay well, but, uh, the, we're the, gonna have a talk later the the thing I was thinking is that that's <laughs> where the Louis C.K. joke safe word, the, safe word. where the girl's like I just want you to go for it you want me to rape you on the off <laughs> okay, chance that you're maybe in. you're into that shit <laughs> yeah <laughs> it, it reminds uh, the, 
I'm reminded of another thing they talked about, which is earlier the kick in the balls scene. <laughs> Apparently, they had to go back and forth a lot with the censors on that. Like yeah. that was no kidding. That was revolutionary at the time because to, everyone to, loved Lurch and the, yeah. and the, and the studio as well. The studio was like that. He's breaking the rules. Yeah, yeah. And they were like, the it's point not. is that we're breaking <laughs> rules, rules in a knife fight. That's the whole idea. Yeah, it's like it was no yeah. noble way to have a knife fight in real life. Now, Paul Newman, I actually haven't seen a tremendous amount of just because of the selection of movies that I grew up with. But every time I see him, I always go, yep, Paul Newman. Definitely. He he deserves to be Mr. Super Huge Name. Makes you know, a hell of a salad dressing. Classic. Yeah. yeah. Classic actor. Held in high esteem, dude. He's just fantastic. And at the time, people weren't actually too up on him in this. They thought that he actually phoned this in uh, and was just playing basically how he would do anything. Just He basically played himself, which I can't say he's not. I don't know the man, but <laughs> it comes across as very naturalistic, which yeah. is actually a non-entry in terms of data when it comes to whether or not they're right. Well, it's, yeah, it's hard to say. It's like if you haven't seen, if you hadn't seen a bunch of Will Smith movies, you watch a Will Smith movie and you're like, is that what he always does or yeah, is that the a- character, you know? Um, so it would be equivalent with Paul Newman, like like you. I haven't seen a lot of Paul Newman movies, so I don't know if this is Paul Newman's shtick or if this is the character. I think it works for the character in isolation, so it really, um, that's really it's, all it that really matters. Is. It's, it's, he's really doing, he's doing the Paul Newman thing, and um, and it's like like a lot of movie stars. It's like you just you just are drawn to them basically being what they are. Tom Cruise, yeah, exactly. And and Tom you know, And occasionally they'll they'll play a role where they 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 step outside that and they do something a little different. And, and the studio cringes every time. Exactly. And sometimes they're successful, sometimes not. But you know, Paul Newman. I mean, every every source we have available says Paul Newman was just a cool dude who you know was just a guy a good guy and you know charming, good and, looking, and nice. And there you go. And that'll work. You know, and blue eyes look good on film, so why not? Why not be an actor? Um, Although they look a little scary in sepia, they I do. Say. But um, but you know, like a replicant. But yeah. But the you know, it's it's and we and we may we're probably shortchanging him by saying, yeah, he's just you know, be cool. Because you know, he he actually is acting and working at it and doing things in this in the movie and in all of his movies. But um, yeah, he to just, be naturalistic and say and say dialogue yeah. is it is but hard he, you know he had this he, he always did have you know my my thought of him and i and i you know f- although i feel like yeah paul newman big movie star there's not a lot of movies i can name that i saw him in either because um, a lot of the movies the breakfast he, club the movies he would be in are not the movies that i necessarily would see this is you know a little more of a, a step outside of his his normal thing but let's um, take a look I've seen him in plenty of things but um but he he would do like Tennessee Williams plays on film, you know, Sweet Bird of Youth and things like that. And um, but then he kind of he kind of disappeared, uh, you know, and came back at the end. And uh, I guess his last movie was Cars, which was certainly trading off of his uh, you know his persona there. Yeah. But um, I think his last his last movie on screen, if not one of his last movies, was um, Road to Perdition, which was a great use of mm. him there. I haven't seen that movie still. It's, he's uh, it's really quite it's it's we, we we always say it's so great when Tom Cruise plays a bad guy. It's the only it's Tom Hanks playing a bad guy. Awesome. And and Paul Newman playing a bad guy, and and Daniel Craig playing an even worse guy. Uh, <laughs> so it's really quite something. I I, I really think that movie. No, quite, I want to see it. We need to talk real quick about what's going on here with Paul Newman's doing this. The bicycle. He's doing the whole it. Just, well, the whole face yeah, the whole, like, whole face replacement. It's all bullshit. No, but the whole like <laughs> wire removal. My head. The tracking is great. The the, yeah. the, the musical number. This is in this the middle is, of the movie. Even at the time. You know, even at the time, it's yeah. kind of like it's like we're watching a period piece, and then we break into really? a Lady Gaga number. You know, it was kind of like really, but you know, but there's no, you know, this song was a huge hit. You know, you couldn't oh, yeah. couldn't get it off the radio. Um, and I love this; it's a great song. I mean, the point I'm not making a point about the song itself. I think it's great. I love yeah. her Bacharach, but 
it's just like so odd. And do you realize uh, when it was? It's a was, really bizarre choice. Well, something yeah. that was interesting about it was the director talked a bit about why. Uh, I would love and, to hear that. And because of there's there's three musical numbers, and she's in all three of them. And it's because she was tremendously underwritten, but the director wanted the audience to feel like she had been there the whole time, even though she never says much. So they wanted to just have long scenes where you're watching them basically just be adorable and not even having to talk. So they could put something in there that gives her some weight in this film so that you, you know, listen to her when she says it's all going to go downhill and she, you, you care when she leaves. It's basically just a way to shoehorn her into the movie more without actually writing words for her to say. Yeah, they wanted a girl around without actually having to write a female part that mm-hmm. wasn't horribly... Well, the other thing is just that of the three characters that are the main characters here, they knew the least yeah. about Etta. They knew, yeah. like, nothing about Etta. We, we know she's a school teacher. The end. Well, not even that. that. Yeah. Was, uh, Coleman says she was either a school teacher or a prostitute. Yeah. I went with school <laughs> exactly. teacher. Yeah. In, in real life, we don't know. Yeah. Uh, in the movie, they say she's a school teacher. Take yeah. the most charitable interpretation. But yeah, it's 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 unusual also. It's, it's something we... Um, we talked about it actually in um, Invasion of the Body Snatchers, 78, where there's also a... <laughs> <laughs> Your head just, Mike's head just snapped around like I just went, what? Was it? Because we talked about how there's a very unusual central relationship in that where there's a, a man and a woman who are the main characters who are clearly in love with each other, but she's married to someone else. So they're just kind of friends that's just kind of awkward. And and whoever makes a movie about that, you know. Um, at, at some point in their future, it'll just take the right bottle of wine. Yes, yeah, you know, fortunately, there's an invasion of the body snatchers and they finally get to hook up. Yeah, thank um, God. In, in that movie. So, you know, sometimes it takes a little extra. But, uh, but you know, this relationship too is like, you know, I the fact that this exists in a movie is you know, rare for the time and rare ever since. It's not like, you know, this kind of, without it becoming like a thing, you know, this, this, it's, it's very bizarre how it's played right here for, Hey, you were just taking my woman out for a bicycle ride in the morning. All right. You know, <laughs> yeah. no one really cares. It's like played that song. <laughs> yeah. It's like, well, okay, whatever, you know, so you, know, you can take her for her to kind of go, Huh, so that then, yeah. Uh, so right. and for it, says, and it says a lot about the relationship in all three directions, yeah. really. Yeah. That, I love that the fact that moment. it's not a cookie cutter. You know, it doesn't turn into a jealous rage later. It doesn't become a plot point. It's just, yeah, you know, this is just how these three people are. I love how I, how much he loves the fact that it's Woodcock. Woodcock, again. Yeah. he's hey. like he, he's Meeps. It, it's buddy. genuinely like he's seeing a friend again that he it's wasn't like, expecting. Honestly, like, I he's think okay, that's good. Woodcock <laughs> is recovered. That's good. He's back on the job. Nice. Honestly, I think if this weren't Butch Cassidy. And the Sundance Kid. If this weren't a classic that we were coming into it knowing that it was a classic, we would be all up in this movie shit about setups without payoffs. <laughs> like what? <laughs> like like, like the, the, the love triangle. There's that, a love triangle that, that doesn't, doesn't even become anywhere. a thing. Oh, yeah. that's true. That's true. Yeah. yeah. That the super posse, like the super posse, does motivate oh, yeah, them to but leave. But they totally just. But they never so pay they totally, that off yeah. either. Yeah. Yeah. The super posse is basically almost. You know, it's never even. They they do actually finally drive the stick in the ground and go. It really is the super posse, but for most of the time they're like they're not even really sure if it is the super posse. Yeah, if it's the super posse, they think it is. Like, is it really that guy and that guy and that guy, or is it just we think it's them? We don't know, but they do get confirmation eventually. But at the end again, they're like, is that them again? Are they yeah. back? But those are and and ultimately they're not the 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 posse and has no nothing threat, to do really. with them being taken out. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. either. So you're absolutely right. Yeah, it, you you think. <laughs> It, at least in a modern way, it's you would think that it's setting you up for that. Oh, they escaped the super posse and they think they finally escaped this inescapable force, only to have the inescapable force appear in the last scene and yeah. gun them down. But yeah. no, it's just other random Bolivian bandits. Yeah. Plus, everyone which, knows which, that there's a rule of threes, and you got to see Woodcock at least one more time. Yeah, like, yeah. he has to be like. 
in PTSD and he moves to somewhere like they'll <laughs> he never go he so he to, never has to he see moves them. to Bolivia he, like gets a farm in Bolivia or something and they break in and, yes, exactly. show up, you know. and of course that time imagine how Butch would be like Woodcock <laughs> this this joke is great because it just comes so out of nowhere I yeah. laughed yeah. so fucking hard yeah. the other night yeah. when he's like well that ought to do it. <laughs> Yeah, that's the and they take it in the face. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> I laughed so. I, uh, yeah, I, I had to stop the movie. I was laughing. So you hard. do not yeah. see that. It's a great it's, in the theater. It is definitely the the high point as far as the audience oh, reaction. Well, because, that ought to do because it because they don't they don't telegraph it at all. It just it <laughs> just <laughs> comes right out of nowhere. And uh, you use enough dynamite there, Butch. Yeah, and, and, I mean, you you probably heard me. That's that stills one of my catchphrases. You know, which no one gets sadly, but <laughs> you know, it's like anytime anyone overdoes anything, that's one of my go to phrases. <laughs> Like, it's a great one. Thank you. Learn to use enough dynamite there, Butch. By the way, is and the just, other line, actually, the other line I used it on somebody the other day is, "You just keep thinking, Butch. That's what you're good at." <laughs> yeah, that's the one that I, I, I I've actually used that one before. Yeah. Is it just me, or does Robert Redford, who is by all accounts one of the more handsome people that have ever lived, really fucking creepy with a mustache? Like something about the way his upper lip works means that it just goes from hair to teeth, mm-hmm. and it looks like kind of hamsterish. He's got a he's got a big upper row of teeth there that I think the mustache <laughs> accentuates. Robert <laughs> Redford. That's bullseye, Robert Redford, right now. Thank you very much. God, the director was like, I hate flying money. Redford's yeah. still around, right? Yeah, uh, he yeah. is. Yeah, he is. we lost Newman a year we, or two we ago. Yeah. Well, yeah. He's, you know, he, he's got that Sundance Festival of his. Yeah. Plus, this now is, we got Brad Pitt, which nice is just like re-upping ones for the a reverse shot there. I'll us. take another Redford, yeah. please, Brad Pitt. This, you know, actually, Brad Pitt definitely is it's so time reversed. It was. It yeah, would have been yeah. shot because pulling you, away. yeah, you don't want to have a train stop on your camera. Yeah, yeah. they don't really and work you that can, well. It, it goes okay, except the steam is being sucked into it, and that's yeah. the giveaway. But um, I was just reading, yeah, some 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 analysis just the other day that said, uh, you know, that Brad Pitt really is kind of the closest we have to he to what Redford. Redford would be like, and he I, looks like him too. And he yeah, these, and that that the whole the style of you know yeah. the very the very underplaying the very. Yeah. You know, yeah, but watching him, watching and, him in Moneyball, I was like, "Why has he not played Robert Redford in yeah, some yeah. in a biopic Red or Red like Redford's Red son or, or something?" They, they were they love. they did start together. Well, they did. In they did uh, they? Devil's Own. Yeah. Oh, and I think that's another one. son, but uh, yeah, no, there, there was another is one. It Devil's, no, that's, that's Harrison Ford. The, but, that's the IRA. Yeah, that's Harrison IRA, Ford. Yeah. But they, it feels like they, I think they did do something together. No, they did. I think Redford and Pitt. I think it was. Hold on. So Brad Pitt could pretty much figure like finish off the whole thing by starting like a film festival called the Durden Film Festival. <laughs> Which, by the way, Sundance is Robert Redford's. Sundance is his character's name. Yeah. We're all cool with this? We're just... Okay, just saying. That's fine? Okay, I was just asking. Because it's like... Spy, they were in a movie called Spy Game. Spy Game, that's what they did. Together. Because it's... It's... Well, Lucas has Skywalker Ranch. What's the deal? Yeah. It's... Well, <laughs> yeah, but that that's, fuck? But that's, but that's like... That's his company. Yeah, he created. Well, the, I think he's, like, he's reacting do want, to. Do you want to win? He created the, that himself versus if if Mark Hamill was had Skywalker. <laughs> yes, exactly. Ranch, if if Mark thing. Hamill started the Skywalker Film Festival, yeah. that's like what do you? Okay, yeah. that's whatever. not yours. Like you just played that. Exactly, they that, gave that to that you. That was just your paycheck, man. Yeah. And what's funny is the uh, Sundance is a Native American spiritual ritual that existed before this movie, and now people. Well, it's also a place. Yeah, that's how that's how the Sundance Kid got his name. That might okay. Then that might be those might be the same thing. But yeah. it, it's funny just that Sundance has taken this thing over. And I know that there's some pissed off people that like to do crazy suspension and piercing shit or like I fucking hate Sundance. <laughs> Used yeah, to be ours, it, man. It's cool to hate Sundance. Well, now. there are hipsters for everything. It no, is it's cool just to hate Sundance it, now, actually, because they go to Sundance. It's all do, too commercial and do their own thing. But everyone, when they hear Sundance, thinks of the film festival, not the place where they yeah. do their thing. Yeah. 
So, yeah. The Sundance Film Festival is actually getting rather too commercial. Sundance was the alternate film festival, yeah. and, but now it's just as commercial right. as any yeah. other the, film festival. Sundance was created specifically so if you did not have somebody like Robert Redford in your movie, yeah. you could still get somebody to watch it, and now you can't get into Sundance unless you have somebody like Robert <laughs> yeah, Redford in your exactly. movie. The alternative to what, can? What's the idea? Canon Tried just yeah, Canon in general. And, normal system. And, and then there was Slam Dance, but that's almost as tough well, to get into. Well, Slam Dance was the, now now Sundance is too commercial. Yeah. yeah. And now Slam Dance is like, you know, well, you have to know I somebody. thought Slam Dance was just shorts or docs or something like that. No, Slam no, Dance was, was if you didn't get into Sundance, Slam Dance would take you. But then Slam Dance got too popular, and now that's just as hard to get yeah. into as Sundance. Almost. Something, something, something the point turtles is, all the way down. Everybody yeah. stop making movies. Yeah. There's too goddamn many of them. And now, and now there's South by Southwest, but yeah. <laughs> yeah, which is way too big to get into. Yeah, now it's way too big to get into also. So I, we're, we're going to start our own film festival, the Nobody But Us Film Festival. And we're, <laughs> we're going to call it something that we played once. And we're going to have hookers and blackjack. You know what? Just forget the film festival. <laughs> That's right. Guys, can we get some hookers? No, seriously, don't ask the internet for hookers. Even no, when you don't you'll, ask, they'll yeah. send them. This is a really, uh, this is an interesting choice in how to play this scene where you don't see what he's doing. I guess since since it's a character called Sweetface, he's going, where's Sweetface? You think he's going to like send a whore out and he comes around <laughs> with his weird dude. little dude? Hey! <laughs> ah! What do you want? There's Clarice Leachman. You can just one shot of her face you yeah. get. It's like, look, I'm in a movie. She's going to go like take off her clothes with great vigor. And um, and thanks, yeah. Cloris. And furious anger. <laughs> yeah. And furious vigor. Then we finally know what that means. Chloris is a hell of a name, yeah, see, by the again, way. Still, there's this, you know... The weirdness of... This is how, yeah, like, just, dude, uh, just stop looking out the window. Well, what do you want me to do? <laughs> <laughs> get a room, maybe. Get your own room would be good. See, if you'd let me sleep with your school teacher once in a while, then... Then, then, then I wouldn't need that, this. That would <laughs> then this great, wouldn't be awkward. Trey, yeah, if, I give you, if I give you a two-week uh, training course and a hat and a vest and just sent you back to 1875 <laughs> in the frontier somewhere, yeah. would you enjoy that? That prospect, as it were, I kind of, you, know, you, you talk about like Westworld, like, like throw you back. Westworld like, was real. Like, throw you back exactly, or, or, or like just put you straight in Deadwood in 1869. I think, you know, unfortunately, I think, I, I mean, think if, if it was this weeks. kind of Western or the Westworld kind of Western where it's all like cleaned up, I think it would actually, I think I actually would find it pretty fascinating. But it's probably the reality is probably more like Deadwood, where everyone's just got venereal scabs all over right. their faces, and you know who knows? I don't know. This, and they'll feed you to pigs. Exactly. It's probably it's probably somewhere in between, really, depending on what town it is. But I I am fascinated by the era. I'll send uh, you there for a year. You can yeah, come back. All right. Come back with the uh, with, with as long as you don't artifacts. get shot over a matter of eighty dollars. Exactly. exactly. I you know the the. Well, you know, I'll, I'll invest and invent the telegraph or something like that. And <laughs> Gonna go invent <laughs> Yahoo. Damn it! <laughs> exactly. like, in a hundred years, in a hundred years, put, give all this money to a company called Apple. I have a, I have a one share sense. of a stock, one share of stock of Yahoo. But this is really going to pay off in a century so. for like six years. Yeah, that's the funny thing when you go back and watch the movie Frequency because at the time it came out, Yahoo oh, was yeah. fucking huge, and his friend in the movie Frequency was supposed to be the guy who made Yahoo. Like his friend was the rich guy who founded Yahoo, and he goes back in time and sees him as a little kid and says, "I'm going to give you a bunch of investment." advice just write this down and look at it when you're older invest in yahoo and now it's like oh no it's, it's, it's like in, his, his friend in real life was, in was, a, was a was a bum who nothing ever worked out for and he tells him he doesn't invent yahoo he just says invest in it all right he tells, it, whatever he tells, it was. Him, he tells in him, case, him to invest in yahoo which funny, he then does it's just funny it's like all right go back in time but invest yeah. in myspace yeah <laughs> exactly <laughs> that's the thing if It'll you ever huge. are faced with that opportunity make sure to also include buy now and also include sell the by sell date. date exactly <laughs> you include have to the invest sell by date in, yeah. in yahoo in like 
1999. Sell in well, 2006. Well, there's a movie that just came out this week, The Internship, that probably will be uh, weird Google in movie. 20 years to see. You know, like remember? Uh, oh wow, when Google was a thing. Apparently, it's this. weird now. Look at that. Well, uh, for that matter, uh, funny people. Um, you know, they play a big show at the MySpace. Yeah, you know, convention or whatever. Yeah, go, wow, and that was like three days right. before. Well, also yeah. the movie "This Is the End." It's like, hey, remember when all of those people were famous? Yeah, <laughs> they could. They would literally put them in any movie they would think of, including all together as themselves. Yeah. So why is this movie a classic? Like, what what makes it go into? Now it's lauded and revered, as opposed to like everyone liked that movie, but you forgot about it. Well, according to William Goldman, luck. <laughs> really? Yeah. yeah but, I mean, but, that's what, that's but, what he says. But what, but what is the what is the the sort of X factor threshold that it crosses to become something that people have, even if they've never seen it, they've heard that name and they know what it is. Honestly, I'm kind of baffled. I don't know if I can answer that question, given like like we've been talking about the kind of odd structure and and odd tone. I mean, well, it is a very likable movie. It is yeah. very like. I mean, the only thing I can say is like it defies your expectations consistently with two people that you that it is very easy to like and enjoy the time you're spending with. So, I mean, there's very few people with the combined charisma of Robert Redford and Paul Newman together. Yeah, so they, they, those, those they think largely it was that. It's yeah. hard, it's hard to name a movie other than The Sting. Yeah, um, that that you know, where it's just like, damn, you know, and <laughs> just wow, that much on screen at the same time. Th- and that combined with it's of you know, it was a very popular genre of the time. And it's I think that's the other aspect of it. It's kind of hard for us in the modern era where westerns have been dead for decades to wrap our heads around the sheer enormity of the Western genre and the fact that it was a part of this huge genre that consistently defied the expectations of the genre, even if not necessarily in as complex a way as say like unforgiven or, uh, or some of the other kind of, uh, Western genre deconstructions that we've done. Um, There's not a lot, actually. Yeah, yeah. Cowboys and aliens tried. Pretend to Yuma does it, but we haven't covered it. But we should. It's a great movie. I thought there was something other than Unforgiven that we. In did. any case, but yeah, True Grit does, but we haven't covered it. Um, yeah, but the, even the original. Well, I keep the Cowboys, which was uh, seven. It was a couple of years later. The Cowboys definitely was a deconstruction of the genre and had starred John Wayne. Um, so it was a real shocker because John Wayne was in a, a western that wasn't like westerns. So that was a, it wasn't a huge hit, but it did well. It's like if Vin Diesel came out and did a joke movie about cars and punching. Yeah, not a joke movie, but a movie that said, you know, that whole thing is not really what you think it is. Yeah. You know, whole, that, that, you know, that stealing mixed martial arts is actually, is actually not yeah. a great thing or so something it, like that. Is it possible that this was the sort of thing where at the time <laughs> this comes out, people have been culturally aware of not only Westerns the way we are now, but also just constantly doused with Westerns getting made all the time because it's a, you know, it's a movie that was a staple genre wise for a long time because they're cheap to make and people like them and they're kind of easy to digest and people have been seeing Westerns out the ass their whole lives and this was just a really good deconstruction funny movie version of one of those and then the genre kind of died. So like now we look back like it got kind of grandfathered in by being a really popular movie then but then we lost all of our context for it because we didn't grow up watching all of the Westerns and getting totally bored by them. So we're just looking it's like if right now someone made an excellent like satire of Transformers and Battleship type movies but then in 30 years we stopped making that shit and moved on to you know whatever the fuck sad thing we we're going to be on by then. Exactly. Or something like that. So there's like we all go oh my god you know the, the Transmorphers not that but I needed a joke name Transmorphers was like fucking perfect what a genius movie but then if you don't grow up watching all those movies all the time you just like you, you know that Transmorphers is a huge thing like your parents talk about it all the time it's a great movie and you watch it you're like I don't quite get why this is important I don't 
really understand. Yeah. Like, like I, the genre got pulled out from under the comedy. <laughs> Why were you so fascinated about buildings falling over? Exactly. Um, I, yeah, I think it, you know, in describing it that way, it's just, you know, a similar thing to like Blade Runner or, you know, Alien, although I think Alien is still a, a stronger movie and holds up better. It's like, so yeah, Blade Runner is an excellent movie, but I don't quite get the incredible revolutionary, you know, putting your jaw on the floor kind of effect that uh, some people feels it has <laughs> yeah. because... It's it, kind of like well because it had sound like well all movies had sound because not re- then yeah it, yeah it was revitalizing a <laughs> then genre they didn't have sound we it was totally revitalized yeah like you live as the you live in a world that is the symptom of this movie's greatness not, yeah well, not it's the, like okay so every science fiction or every future movie the future is dirty and so you look at a movie like Blade Runner and go well yeah the future's dirty big deal yeah. all future movies are dirty it's like well no that was the first dirty <laughs> yeah. future movie go there back was. a year before that and watch Logan's Run yeah, yeah. and see so what they, see what science fiction looked like maybe you know, maybe that's what's going on here is like well so the characters are kind of shades of gray in this western all but all westerns have shades of gray yeah. characters well no not not then yeah and they're not like that but they're technically the bad guys yeah they're anti-heroes <laughs> yeah so it's it's all those things and but I think it's it's also um just the fact that it's is uh, we we quoted someone who said that you know a movie if a movie has like you know five good moments and the rest doesn't suck it really you know you've got you've got something and and what everyone always takes away from this movie is that scene and that scene and that scene and that scene. Yeah. You know, that moment and that moment and that moment. And the rest of it is fine. And the rest of it, you know, goes, you know, in varying shades of like, you know, kind of a little odd and a little strange to, you know, even the director, like, I wish we hadn't done that to, um, you know, just laying the pipe to get to the next scene. But, uh, you know, it's got some some classic moments that uh, just were shockingly new and fun and original at the time. Um, I still come back to the ending. I still come back to just the fact that it just that ending is just I find it's just it, a, such an amazing ending. I and I that, find that it's fascinating. amazing that it works. It's amazing that you don't hate the movie. Yeah, that the movie yeah. just manages to like lay the breadcrumbs down. And this is what we were talking about earlier, where they they made sure it wasn't a comedy as much. Yeah, because then people would really be like, "What the hell was that ending?" You know, to really like say this is you know that this is the movie has this constant thread of the fun and games are ending, you know, that this is, yeah. it's fun and games and, you know, but it's getting harder and harder to keep the game going. And this some, isn't, this someday, isn't our world anymore. Yeah, and in fact, le- we're, we're going to get them. Less and here's the speech. Here's, the, here's where they spell it out for you yeah. right here. The most explicit thing is, is, uh, you know, uh, Sheriff Bledsoe saying literally you are going to die bloody and horrible. <laughs> yeah. And all you can do is decide where. Yeah. <laughs> Which, by the way, that's how I've been living my life this yeah, whole time. Like, that's my anticipation. Thank but, you, Captain Bring Down. Damn. Yeah. And we another great reversal where he's like, I think okay. he just says bloody, not bloody. Yeah. Uh, another great reversal where he's like, okay, tie me up and use me as a scapegoat. The, <laughs> yeah. the rope is over there in that yeah. dresser. It's Let's not just done. It's not even use me as a scapegoat. It's like if if people if anyone saw you come in and I'm not tied up when they come check yeah. on me it's my ass yeah. <laughs> so I yeah, need exactly. you cuz the, the point is that you know he he was one of their their compatriots who got out you know that he 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 quit the business and went straight and and now he's a sheriff you know but only only It's bare. actually now that we're talking about it it's occurring to me that I love the I love this kind of movie and I can't think of another great one off the top of my well, head Well actually the like that, the bad that, guys are adorable well, and that fun connection actually movie. just made me go Silverado is another movie that's I need to uh, see Silverado You really do need to see Silverado I'm I love I, you haven't I is um, there am I am I forgetting that's others? actually that's actually a, a major plot point is Brian Dennehy 
is a former outlaw who has now become the sheriff. Well, just um, character just character wise, we're we're talking about the same energy as Firefly. Joss Whedon is taking up the mantle so. of Goldman yeah. in a lot of this ways. Yeah. If Firefly, if 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 everybody died at the end of Serenity, that would be Butch Cassidy. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's like it does have that. And hell, we get close enough. Really. Yeah, exactly. It's it's that's actually interesting. I, I I never really connected that, but I think I think huh. Firefly Serenity owes quite a bit in in sort of tone and overall structure yeah. and, and and approach to, and, to and, Butch Cassidy and just the attitude i mean both of them write really smart ass dialogue and both yeah, of them the fact are the, that it's like it is fun but you are criminals yeah. and and there is gonna both of them the, are the structure guy of you're their, gonna have uh, bad days because you are criminals and there is a seesaw back and forth between the jokey hey we're all smart ass and, we got great lines and, and then our friend died oh, serious shit happens tragedy. sometimes yeah, yeah it's like just, just tragedy is there like a but like off the top of your head can you think of another one that's fully a movie following two like I, we'll say bandits but out of you know you don't have to be in Thelma and Louise Ocean's Eleven yeah. that's more than oh, Ocean's Eleven is a good one two, so is Thelma and Louise Thelma and Louise certainly also. Thelma and Louise but, but, is basically this with women but, 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 well, <laughs> but I mean but, but Thelma and Louise car, yeah. it's I, I'm talking specifically about the the bad guys as everyone loves them and they also mm. oh shit gotta go everybody you know? in the universe and out of the universe yeah, love like the apparently it, like unless the movie tells you they are villains you don't know they're villains oh uh, well but to like, an extent i guess ferris bueller there you yeah. go <laughs> exactly ferris bueller's a menace to society <laughs> yeah, in like nine yeah. ways which is funny because i i know that you kids love the ferris bueller i think that movie is just a sack of shit because i'm like i just want to smack that kid just 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 stop you're preventing people from getting an education if you want to ruin your own life you dipshit go yeah. ahead <laughs> But Jesus Christ, what a fucking jerk. I, I, he was like, Ferris Bueller is the guy I would like, you know, not sit with at lunch and I would try and flick mashed potatoes at him if I could because he's. Because you weren't getting laid and Ferris was? He's such a douche. I don't think, he's not getting laid. That chick's sleeping with everybody. Have you seen that movie? <laughs> that was, there not, was a, it's not special. There was a cracked article to the effect of like five, five, uh, yeah, five you know, heroes who are actually five, horrifying villains. Or no, five, five movie villains who were actually totally in the right and one of them was the Edward principal. Edward yeah. Jeffrey Jones. Yeah. Yeah. He was the dean, sir. Or the Speaking of Deadwood, Jeffrey Jones. Yeah, I saw. Yeah, I I seen Ferris Bueller, and I was like, okay, you know, douchebag has one good day, but I hope he went to prison later. By the way, dragging us slowly back into the westerns, but I'm going to get us there with a segue. Speaking of Jeffrey Jones, who was in Deadwood, (laughs) yeah, uh, something that some people have been alarmed to find out, and it really screws you up. uh, And I'm going to give you the beginning and the end of the story. To the best of my knowledge, this is all accurate. Oh dear, Uh, Jeffrey Jones is a registered sex offender. Yes, yes. Yes. Uh, Do you know why? Because of little children pictures. It's because he because had, a, it was pieces, from what I understand, it was pieces of art in his house yeah. that he had been like hanging on his wall for years because they're like paintings or something. And then people went, wait a second. And it's some, well, yeah, yeah but, but it wasn't <laughs> like they found his Al Capone's glove box of porn. Yeah. It was like this, of several pieces of art that everyone was kind of like, actually, I think, and then the cops, and then the cops, and then the cops, and then the order. And so I think from it, was what I understand, it was connected to the, the Pee Wee Herman. It was sort of it was part of the sort of the roundup. The oh. we're going to get the whole gang. So there was sort of like blood we're in the gonna, water. We're going to crack down on those decadent Hollywood. Types. Now it's yeah. possible I don't know something, but I looked into it because I was like, no fucking way! I love that guy. And what I found at the time yeah, was I only found oh, out about this, this recently. This, too. this this was fucked up. This wasn't actually a thing. Thing like that. It wasn't anything like. Now I could be wrong, but from what I understand, it was totally like a trumped up charge that is like embarrassing as fuck. And like, no, it wasn't ever. I'm not a kid. All right, fine. Okay, okay. And it hasn't impacted his career at all, so that's cool. Keeps keeps rocking on. I'm on the innocent until proving guilty Jeffrey Jones 2012 ticket. It's another one of those things where you only hear the one sentence, and the one sentence is way, way worse than Jeffrey Jones is a sex offender. Oh, my God. Yeah. Why? Why? It doesn't matter. He's a sex offender. He peed in a park. Yeah. I mean, that's, (laughs) that's the unfortunate reality of a lot of, not all, but a lot of 
people who are get labeled as sex offenders these days they do something like yeah. I actually being in a party. I, I actually less. I don't think Fred Willard uh, got too much flack for doing exactly what Pee Wee Herman did 20 years yeah. ago. Yeah. I actually found that cuz just on a, like a road trip I was going to like pee on the side of the road like you do and they were like we can't do that you'll get no you will get, you will get straight up arrested you'll and- get arrested and have to register as a sex offender i'm like seriously <laughs> and i looked it up and like yeah, yeah technically yes like shit <laughs> anyway but jeffrey jones from what i know not a total creep back to butch cassidy see yeah. i told you i was good at segues so well right now we're in the in the super posse chase scene we're <laughs> yeah, run, 30, away. run away run away run away you as as goldman goldman says he thinks he breaks it down as terms of Act one is the fun and games. Act two is the super posse chase. Act three is Bolivia. Which is, again, structurally, if you're going by like what people have nailed in as Hollywood structure, whether you go by Blake Snyder or any of the other ones, that is completely broken. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Wait, like, we'll get there in a second because well, I want to talk he, about that. But it was about just it. funny because you were saying that and I'm like, at first when you started saying the first act is fun and games and then the second act is a super posse chase and then the third act is Bolivia I thought you were talking like those are like Blake Snyder's terms are like save the cat and shit I thought those were William Goldman's structure yeah. <laughs> no, like, yeah. like act one should yeah, be the fun and games and act on, two should be yeah. when on I wrote page absent, 78 you've got to have wrote Bolivia malice and I got to the Bolivia act anyway, yeah. so now but on the start no literally this because William Goldman is highly revered in this house my house uh, because he's Mr. Amazing Screenwriter and responsible for you know genius uh, information about how to write and structure movies but you're saying this movie doesn't actually fall into any of that shit let's talk about what do what he says not what he does William Goldman shit as it relates <laughs> well, to well William Cassidy. Goldman doesn't he, he's, he talks about setups and payoffs to a certain degree but but William Goldman is not really that you know he's not a Blake Snyder he's not even a Sid Field in no. terms of here is the you know Sid Field was the one who codified the three act structure and everyone has a copy of that in their desk now in Hollywood um, and you know, worse yet, everyone has a copy of uh, of Blake Snyder's book, which is even simpler than than, and and that's just become the law of the land. Goldman that, just had like a philosophy that he talked about that in the hero's journey. Which you know, thank you to George Lucas. Um, this movie, the story is not the hero's journey. This is not a hero's journey story, so it doesn't have to follow the hero's journey because this isn't that story. Um, it's a different story. Really, the story is a tragedy. Yeah. So in this, it makes sense because the tragedy is about the fall. You start out good, and it gets worse, and it gets worse, and then it gets as worse. As it gets, and, and then, then, you're, then you're done. So that structure is the structure of this story. Yeah. Is fun and games, super posse, Bolivia, dead. That's the structure. So you know he he he's following the structure of what this story needs to be structured as, and you know it's you can you can kind of go yeah okay, but this, does the structure have to go fun and games, super posse? Musical number Bolivia. <laughs> well, I guess right. it does, you know, but uh, but that doesn't hurt. That doesn't hurt the structure. Um, no. It's kind of like the, the 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 visit to Atlantic City is kind of the the last hurrah, the last right. good time, and then it just you know then you're just in the on the the play out where things just keep getting worse and worse until they die. By so, the way, the uh, for any Kevin Smith fans, if there are any left, uh, <laughs> shit, there dude. are three. They listen to that podcast religiously. <laughs> Uh, there, you know, LaFors is a obviously a reference in in right. And he uh, wears a security he wears guard a little with a straw hat, adorable hat. Yeah. yeah, Mike, what were you saying about the structure that the like fun and games posse? Well, Bolivia. that's just I, I'm I'm put put in mind because fun and games is particularly a a uh, Blake Snyder term. Kind of term. But I'm but I'm I'm on board with Trey, which is that that's the that it, this that would be the wrong structure that, for a different kind of movie. Yeah, from, well, from that perspective, this is a very broken movie, but it but it works, and that kind of makes the point that it's like not every movie actually needs to be like that. They can still work. Now, I do think, like we talked about before, 
from from our perspective from the kind of uh, more more the the tighter storytelling perspective of today it could bear with some tightening certainly but, but I you're talking about punch up not rewrites yeah yeah uh, although I do think uh, there's a there's a part of me that does agree apparently um, apparently Newman and Paul Newman and George Roy Hill went around and around like they tell this story everywhere you you read about Butch Cassidy about the scene with Sheriff Bledsoe which is that Newman thought that that yeah. should be the last straw for them that like, yeah that should that be the should, final motivation to go to Bolivia that yeah. that whole speech when he's like you need to you, you know you, you can only choose where you die that's all that's left for you the the world is changing Newman that thought be that the, Butch would hear that and go all right yeah whereas whereas George Roy Hill's feeling earlier, is that right? it should be you know in the middle of the chase right there whereas uh, uh, Newman thought it should be the climax and I think I see Newman's side of it um, I I think it it feels good to have something to build to but on the other hand then you lose the the leap here as the uh, as, as the yeah, climax of that that's moment in, that's so. interesting because I, when I first started reading that just rereading it today I was on Newman's side, but by the time I got to the end, I was on uh-huh. George Roy Hill's side. Because <laughs> yeah. I, I think it's stronger to end on a, on, on the this jump, action. Yeah. And also it's, it, it's always stronger to end on behavior and extreme behavior. Yeah. Like, yeah. We have to take this extraordinarily absurd extreme action to yeah. get away. Well, and it's and it's a you know it's it's metaphorical. It's literally taking yeah, right. this yeah. giant leap, going to leave the world behind. Yeah, I, I think also I think from a character standpoint, I think this construction makes sense because he tells them flat out. He drops the knowledge on them, and they go, "Yeah, screw you!" You know, thanks for yeah. nothing, pal. And here is where, after they do this leap, when he has to go, we really should go. Yeah. We really, you know, that he has to acknowledge that that was true when he refused it before, right? Um, and he so it's, it's like a weird backwards call to call to action. <laughs> yes, type exactly. Thing. He got the call. He refused it, but he, he shouldn't have. <laughs> he got but, the call but, to get the fuck out. Yeah, exactly. Butch, Butch is an ignorant <laughs> and. Petul- like petulant teenager, he is. He's very he's very childish he in is. some ways, well, but that's kind of his appeal. But that's also well. that's also the structure of a tragedy. Is a tragedy isn't like you know a nice guy has bad shit happen to him. A tragedy is a guy brings about his own end because he refuses to do the things that right. would not would would have saved his own life. Right. So you know, Butch yeah. Butch won't change. He refuses to change. The kid too, and. And everyone sell them. There they go, and, <laughs> yeah, and, they, and they should have. Everyone the, keeps selling them. The, is the well, ultimate message you know, of the movie. Even finally, you know, the the final story is when the woman that loves them both says, "And I'm going to go. I'm done. Yeah. yeah, I'm good. I'm out." So in the behind the scenes, there's um they he, he, and bear in mind I'm talking about the behind the scenes that's on the DVD release, which is literally the, like like the 60 minute long string out of behind the scenes footage and some clips from the movie, and it's just George Roy Hill talking over it. Uh, and it's it's amazing. It's just an it's it's so perilously odd because above everything else, I don't know what the fuck they would have made it for because they mm-hmm. made it at the time they made the movie before the movie came out. They couldn't have aired it on TV because he's dropping f bombs every two seconds, and they didn't have <laughs> DVDs DVD. then. Yeah, so what, so what the for? fuck was it for? Now they talk about this shot right there. What we're looking at right now, the falling shot. It's a, it's a, it's a stunt. And uh, what you're looking at there is they jumped off of the cliff in Utah, wherever they filmed this, and onto a little platform they had built. That was a real cliff, but the river below them was too shallow, so they built a platform six feet under the cliff ledge, like this big wooden platform just hanging off the rocks, so that they could jump onto that. And then they cut to something out in Hollywood, where they were filming it in Malibu, actually, not Hollywood, at a lake, right? It's just a wide open lake that two stunt guys are jumping into. 
from a condor that's 70 feet over the water. It's just a lake. There's nothing there. It's just a big lake. And they had a special effects guy come in and paint glass the way you do to do all the cliff shit on both sides all the way down to the water line. So you're you're actually looking at what is just a little, the middle sliver is real footage of them jumping into a lake and everything else is this big glass matte painting that's in front of it to make it look like it's not. That totally plays. I had no idea. It holds up. If you want, and I, I was watching it just now with that in mind. I, I, I would believe you if you told me that watching it, but I never in a million years would have thought so. Yeah. Yeah. Just nailed the painting. Those matte paint, the glass painters in particular are just fucking insane. Like, I don't know how the hell you do that bleed over. Like the Millennium Falcon sitting in the, in the, uh, like the hangar on the Death Star shot where it's like, what the fuck? And that's all a painting? <laughs> yeah. No, it's not. No shit? Like, those guys no. blow my mind. But anyway, that was a special effectsy shot, which was pretty cool. By the way, when they the, because of their accents, when they first say Lord Baltimore, it totally sounds like yep. Lord Voldemort. Yes, it, does. <laughs> <laughs> it totally does. It's like, wait, what? Voldemort? <laughs> Who's coming after just, us? Lord just, Voldemort. Oh, you got to get to Bolivia right now. You said his name out loud. He's going to appear. Yeah. That's how scary he is. Lord Baltimore is a parcel tongue. <laughs> <laughs> it's, I'm looking at... Um, just to kind of connect the dot from a previous line of conversation is I'm looking at what else was, what other movies were made in 1969 to give this con- oh. some context. Um, you know, it's like, a, a, I should have probably jumped to, uh, you know, Academy Award nominees to sort of see what was considered the best of the, of the year. But I'm seeing a lot of like traditional Westerns, the original true grit, which was actually a bit of a revisionist Western, but, uh, several Westerns, um, but also, but also Atlantic. the Wild Bunch. Wild Bunch, same year. So, so you know, you're seeing that. Wild Bunch does feel a lot more classic than this. Yeah, Wild Bunch is, you know, was certainly a, a playing with the form differently. That's also that comes into this because uh, Butch Cassidy's Pinter wagon also came out. That's Butch Cassidy's year. actual gang was called the Wild Bunch. Yes, and they couldn't have called it Butch Cassidy and the Wild Bunch because that yeah. movie just came out. So they just made up Hole in the Wall Gang wholesale. Yeah. Um, also, Midnight Cowboy. In terms of uh, playing with the concept of cowboys in general, oh, that doesn't uh, feel old. That feels like it was just yesterday. Yeah, um, sixty nine. That's it's a weird year. It's it's again. It's you know. It's, it's we usually say the seventies was that big. Uh, you know, the big uh, sea change in the movie industry in general. Um, it was already underway by by sixty nine because also Hello Dolly. So big musicals that bombed. In the chat, mm. uh, Neckrid says Easy Rider. Easy Rider also came out this year. This was the this was the turning point. You've got he, Hello Dolly. We know the big can't miss right musical. The tanks. Avatar of its day. Yeah, tanks exactly. And movies like Butch Cassidy, which totally fuck with the western, the beloved western format, and Easy Rider and Midnight Cowboy. You know, an X rated movie gets you know gets uh, nominated for an Academy Award. And you know what the hell? No one knows anything anymore. We, you know, we don't know what we're doing. <laughs> what the heck's going on? So. This movie is this movie is kind of in the middle. It's not as extreme as Midnight Cowboy or Easy Rider. It's more accessible, but it's also very much not your dad's western, right? And uh, and so it kind of walks that line in the middle. It's it's almost easy to not even think of this as a western in some ways. You know, it it's takes like place. Buddy, it feels the, like a buddy cop. Yeah, movie. it is. Well, it is a buddy movie. It's like one of the first yeah. buddy movies. Definitely, it happens to take place in the old west, but it does not feel like a western because it's missing so much of that. You know, because it just literally does not have that structure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You could you could tell the same story about two bank robbers in you know Detroit and in, in yeah, yeah, yeah I mean, In fact, this movie could be totally remade these days with a modern bent, like just setting aside the whole biopic part I of think it we entirely. Should do, we should do a sci-fi version of Bush Cassidy. I was oh, going to really? say we should do yeah. You know, 
With a slate of Star Next time Star I Wars say, let's go to Mars, out. let's go to Mars. <laughs> I've I never lo- been to Mars. I, I really love that. First of all, they speak English Why did you cast it in your head with Schwarzenegger? <laughs> because <laughs> no, I was making no, a Total Recall Mars is, oh. You can't say Mars without saying, yeah. get your ass to Mars. Get your ass to Mars. Oh, I haven't seen Total oh, Recall. Dude. <laughs> <laughs> Run to wall because it's hysterical. <laughs> God damn it. <laughs> Listen to the commentary. Now, wait. Now, this yeah. is 69. Yeah. Princess Bride was 87, I think. Yes. Yep. About four years after this, he published The Princess Bride. He actually Bride. published the well, novel, yeah. Well, to be proper, S. Morganston published yeah. the... Yeah, yeah. Uh, but he published The Princess Bride... For, so he wrote The Princess Bride story basically now-ish. And it was published four years later. So, like, you know, he's working on it right now. Princess Bride, I feel, has a, a much rounder and... I don't know if I'm just being, like biased about it but it feels much more I don't feel the sort of bleeding set up payoff gaps in Princess Bride I wonder if that's just because the story lent itself to that or if it's because he was just four years better or if you know he has talked about Princess Bride by saying this movie is perfect and I had nothing to do with well, it like the story well, came to Princess me Princess Bride he made up this is a mostly true story yeah, he's yeah. telling a classic so, fairy oh, that's, tale that's, big, and, that's a big yeah. deal and, and he's working with pre-existing he's, he's trying to fit pre-existing material yeah. into yeah, it, the I best mean, structure the, the whole thing that, like you're saying the, the setup payoff problem and not to like, mention that was a genre that existed and Princess Bride wasn't <laughs> yeah the, yeah. the setup payoff problem you're talking about as, as Trey just pointed out it's like this is a real story it's, it's like if he were writing it himself <laughs> yeah. he probably would have them have a showdown with the super exactly, posse but that's not what happened or, the, or so. the stars would demand it or whatever and you know and many movies would go I know that's what happened in real life but you know I'm George Clooney over here I gotta have that scene where I yeah. look directly in the camera and say that thing that I do okay you know whatever but um, or you might have just not written it in if yeah. you knew that it was going to factor into it I had, uh, I had a conversation with someone the other day who was who was complaining about Game of Thrones who was saying it's just like it's so such terrible terrible storytelling to you know to have these characters and then suddenly kill them off just so randomly and I said well it's not conventional storytelling. I'm yeah. not sure I would say it's terrible storytelling. It's just a storytelling we're not used to, which takes us back to the Goldman thing of, you know, we go to see a movie to be reassured, like, oh, but they'll be fine in the end, right? 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 Um, well, you know what doesn't do that? Real fucking life doesn't yeah. do that. Like, for example, if someone, if Spielberg said, I want to do a movie about an American president, say around the Civil War, and there wasn't an American president in real life to write about, would you write a story about how he frees the slaves and then randomly gets shot in the back of the head <laughs> that, when he goes to the theater one night? Would you write that as a movie? No one would buy that no, script. He'd be. It, it would happen on the battlefield. Exactly. Or, or some ironic way. Yeah. That, you know, it's like, oh, but it's still, there's a, there's a payoff or whatever. But, you know, or, or his wife actually had a gun the whole time and turns around yeah. and <laughs> knew the plot. You know, something like that. But uh, it's again. Or his wife did it. She's so, like, in, exactly. in his movie. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. She's so set up to be completely out of her gourd, exactly, and, and so true. out of like if 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 it were completely fictional, probably you know Miss Lincoln would be the one who wound up. <laughs> well, Lincoln him. totally is a, is a is an inside job. Depending on who's directing it, because if Shyamalan made it, he was dead the whole time. That's yeah. right. Anyway, my my point is no, that, he was black the whole time. My point That's is that uh, you know, like you said, this this he was trying to take you know he, he knew what the ending was. He couldn't you know he had he basically he wanted to get to this ending, and he had to write the movie that got you to that ending. As best as he could, and and so these are the these are the story points he picked. He talks about in, in Adventure of the Screen Trade. He had this great scene with Butch Cassidy that was totally real about the governor of whatever state. Oh, who yeah. came and said, yeah. "I'll pardon you if you if you swear." Wyoming, you, I think yeah. it was. If, yeah. you, if, you, if swear you swear not to commit any more crimes, I'll just let you go. And, and, and Butch, Butch Cassidy goes, goes, "Can't do that." But sorry, I'll, I can't. I'll, I'll never come back to your state and commit crimes. And the governor said, "Good enough," and let him go. Yeah. Uh, and, he, and he wanted to put that in the movie, but the structure of the movie that he had to have. 
there was no place for yeah. Butch to be the young outlaw who right. would get caught. Yeah. It had to be the fall, so he, they already had to be at the top to yeah. come down. There was no place for them to climb up, which and is see, where I that s- scene had I to be. I still think that scene, if, if, if you're structuring it as a fall, as a tragedy, that could be the opening scene, and that's a sure. great opening scene for, for that character. So, but these are the, these are the choices you make, as yeah. opposed to as opposed to Princess Bride, which is a fairy tale in which good is always rewarded and evil is always punished, and right. all the dots will be connected because that's what a fairy tale yeah. is. So, and the, and the whole th- you know, and it, it, that's exactly Game of Thrones is the reaction to that, yeah. where it's like, well, everyone's obsessed with this idea of the nobility and the beauty of of the medieval yeah. period because as everyone Shink. writes medieval fantasy yeah. so he's like here's what medieval life was like I'm going to tell a fantasy story yeah. but I'm going to tell it like the real medieval time again, it's like the red wedding is based on a real event called the black dinner yeah. which was just as heinous and so there you go so um, you know that's the kind of shit that goes down in real fucking life we should uh, stop and talk about the beautiful um, we would say photoshopping now but of course it isn't the, I, but, it is uh, fantastic though it's beautiful I'm like, work. some of it obviously serious? is actual photographs that they staged I love this transition yeah, by the way they've been know. They've been panning and scanning over pictures now, and so only it kind of fools you at first. Yeah, and then you the suddenly CPU hasn't gone away, and the CPU yeah. then will fade away. Um, but uh, but yeah, some of it some of it actually was obviously period photographs that they did some insertion into, and then they staged some some, some stuff as well. How did they do that? Just there, like how how do you do that optically or chemically? Where change the, the color? Well, yeah, there's well it goes it changes the whole processing entirely over the course of a very smooth transition. Like I would think maybe like you just kind of do some math in your head and say, okay, I'm going to leave this frame in the goop for 30 seconds and the next for 29 seconds. And and you kind of do that, but that was way too smooth for even that. I have no idea how you would do that change. I I would guess something. I mean, whatever I would imagine not knowing any better filter change, whatever, whatever process you do to create a fade out, you would just do the same. You could just do the same shot twice and then that's just do a transition. That's what it is. It's a dissolve. It's that's, a dissolve that between the two. That's that makes that sense. Is. Okay. I'll tell you, I do know... Uh, it's, l- it's a button on Final Cut. It's, yeah, exactly. it's very simple. <laughs> I tell you if, you, if you, if you really look at the very last shot, the famous last shot, and really look at that shot... That's Hyper a real, zoomed in. That's a mind blower, and I actually know that, that I, one. Is, I know the story of how they did that one. I, I just happened to. I was going to say they talked about it a little bit. You probably have more information on it, yeah. but they talked about it a little bit in the behind the scenes. So, so I know a little bit about how they did it. But literally, up until about five minutes before we were recording, I'm like, I have no fucking idea <laughs> how they did that. So it's it's pretty impressive. It's one of those things where. You know, it's like even even in a movie in the in 1969. You know, if you wanted to do like a special thing, like a director says, "Here's how I I have this idea for the shot," the the links you have to go through yeah. to like make that happen. Thing was, you know, it's look, not like you just kind of pull it out of your ass on the day. You have to really plan that. Looking at that shot, the 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 ending shot, the freeze frame it and feels pull effortless. out. Yeah. Uh, I was looking at that going, I don't even know how to do that now. <laughs> yeah, that's the thing. You, it, would be, it would be harder to do that now than it was then. Yeah. Which is, I think that's literally true. Um, this is a really funny scene where they get to Bolivia and yeah, Sundance yeah. is like, yeah, I this, fucking hate this you. This is where man. he gets to. This, God, I hate this you. This is like his biggest speech in the whole movie is his whole. This might be the Atlantic City, New Jersey, and Bolivia for all you know. Yeah. Uh, which I, I grew up outside of Atlantic City. That's about what Atlantic yeah, City is. Yeah. It's equivalent, yeah. That's, a, that's about as pretty as Atlantic City looks Brian like. Brian Finifter, our Atlantic City correspondent, says that Bolivia apparently pretty close. I would pick Bolivia over Atlantic City. <laughs> oh, they, they have pigs. It and doesn't it, flood. And here they are underscoring once again. It's like that now they've done all this. They've gone to Bolivia and he's still like, you're from Atlantic City. I didn't know you were from Atlantic City. Yeah. <laughs> really? Why would you leave? Yeah. I, uh, I kind of missed the whole hats with mesh thing that they were doing back then. I want to bring that back, not for the ladies, for me. 
Yeah. I want to wear those kind of hats with like the shit in my face. I don't know what the shit in your face is doing. Like it's not the webbing is too open to catch flies and it's way too open to block the sun. So I think it's just there to it's protecting their godly modesty. Is what it's doing. Yeah, but you can see right through it. Statement. Like it's just it's a I, symbol. I don't know what it's there for. Maybe leaves and branches and spider webs. I don't know. <laughs> I think you should try that though, because you know now, right now, see if I can bring it back. Period of history right now is anything goes. So you should just you should just start going out in public in a bowler hat, but with like the mesh with with a netting over it, right? Just over your face. Just go into the Seven Eleven or whatever. Hi, how you doing? Uh-huh. Just see if I can get away with it. Yeah, I knew a kid in high school who did. You that just want to see someone else doing it because that's, that's what you want. Uh, he would wear. Um, this has nothing to do with the fact that later in my life I would like wearing dresses, but he would wear a skirt, uh, and it was very clearly a skirt, not not a dress. The distinction <laughs> not being a kilt, that, well, not a kilt, and not a dress. A dress goes from your shoulders down. A skirt is at your waist, and he would just wear normal dude clothes and a skirt, not like a girl's <laughs> skirt, like not like a I've seen this kind of skirt on girls. Like it was a different kind of thing, but it was he basically apparently thought of them as one legged jeans. But he just wore a skirt. And like, I remember being, I had him in my, in my construction processes class where we're building a house. And the guy who's teaching that class is a contractor who like became a teacher later in life when his back gave out. And having this guy in Arkansas, those would have been Indiana, in Indiana, who's like 65 year old, his hands are torn up from laying bricks for 40 years, have this little fucking kid come into his class wearing a dress. It was too much. <laughs> Couldn't deal. He shat on his face. He was just like, get out of here with that. I did not lay bricks for 40 years to put up with this shit. Yeah. I don't even think, and he was a really nice guy. In fact, I think if the kid were like a transvestite or something, he would have been fine with it. But he's like, fuck your affectation. Get out of my class with your skirt. I was like, dude. <laughs> but I think I could pull it off with the hat, with the mesh, 7-Eleven. Talk to Habib. I don't know if I'd go with the skirt and the bowler with the no, mesh. No, it's one or the other. Yeah, or, or just, yeah. you know, establish one. Baby steps, you know. You can't do it. anything you want. <laughs> Ziggy Stardust can pull that shit off, but that's a time apart now. Anyway, I do want to bring it back. All right, well, get right on it. You heard it here first. In fact, I want to even do like a Chippendales thing where that's all I wear, but it goes all the way down to the floor. <laughs> Actually, uh, it's funny seeing these scenes. I don't know where they shot them. You know, these kind of things is like, you go, do they go to... They really go to Bolivia or Mexico? No, this is Mexico. They <laughs> could could be you know three miles outside of Los Angeles for all we know. Yeah. But, uh, the um, or a back lot. I've actually know. I've actually been to Honduras um, about uh, about eight years ago, ten years ago. What? Um, Why? <laughs> Honduras is awesome. No, I don't. I'm not. I'm not questioning Honduras's <laughs> validity. I'm just like, what was your reasoning? I was well. I was a cocaine mule. So uh, <laughs> so um, okay. No, um, I was just uh, I went there with my girlfriend at the time for the scuba diving. Um, yeah, they oh, have yeah, yeah. Um, one of the one of the, well, Honduras has two things. Well, three, really hot seawater too. Has, has three things. Uh, you know, besides the the drug trade, but um, Honduras <laughs> has uh, what's called the 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 the, uh, the Bay Islands or whatever the offshore islands that are on the they're actually on the Gulf side. Are they on the Gulf side? No, they're on the they're on the Pacific side. Um, these these three islands, Rotan and, and two others that are like diving havens, because that's all they do is they're just these little tiny islands that are just like everyone has a scuba shop. Literally, you just go into town and you can just walk into the center of the street and go, I would like to go diving. And some dude will come running out and throw a tank on you and throw you in the water. It's awesome. Probably super clear water. Definitely really warm water. Very warm. Yeah, it's very tropical. Just little fish and beautiful coral and all that kind of stuff. They got some good wrecks. Um, you know, you can pull lobsters out and fish. So it's all in the, in the you know, seafood restaurants and it's just the whole culture of just diving and, and all that. It's fantastic. Um, and then if you want to go into the mainland, um, it's nothing but, uh, I guess I'm going to say 
Inca, although perhaps it's Maya ruins, you know, right. because it's, you know, it's a, whichever, whichever it was in that zone, the Inca or the Maya. And so you can, you know, go to these amazing, you know, ruins and get a tour there and everything else. But the rest of the place, you know, then they have big cities and stuff, but especially on the Bay Islands, the Bay, the Bay Islands look like this. They look like this. Um, it's all, it's all like, um, you know, it's kind of a combination of Gilligan's Island and uh, and this kind of some old and Spanish colonialism. Spanish colonialism that's all gone to shit. And uh, you know, and expatriate Americans who now run restaurants on the beach <laughs> and just you know live the live the live the Jimmy Buffett lifestyle. It's got a place down there, but um, but it really is. It's funny how um, it's it, it really is much closer to this kind of this kind of life as you see in the movie than it is to what we would call modern life. Because when we're there, the power goes out like three and four times a day in town, yeah. and we go like, oh, the power's gone out. Oh God, what do we do? It's like. What are you talking about? We'll just go on with our lives. It's not like, yeah. it's like we, we, uh, we, the power goes out all the time. Like we took our we took our stuff to the laundry. There's a local laundry in town, and and then the power went out, and we're like, oh, so I guess our laundry's going to be late. And we went by the laundry and said, well, when, when can we get our laundry? He's like, oh, it's done. The power's been out all day. So <laughs> we <laughs> like like that's like that's going to stop us. Yeah. Your laundry so, isn't any less wet now. You're yeah, welcome. We we we're Honduras. We have this other way of doing it without the electricity. You gringo. So um, so it's funny that, uh, that that yeah you can go to Mexico and and <laughs> shoot places that look like this because they look the, like that's this. what yeah. they still look like. Now, we, uh, oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Well, so I, I worked on that movie that shot in Nicaragua a couple years ago. Nicaragua. Uh, Nicaragua. I'm actually wearing my. Latonia uh, beer shirt, which is one of the two yeah. national beers in Nicaragua. How was Latonia uh, beer? Uh, Vic, the other one was a little better, but I, for whatever reason, I drank this more, so I got this shirt. You're a, you're a Nicaraguan beer hipster. Yeah. yeah. It's a very yeah. rare vintage. I uh, actually was in a bar with a friend of mine in D.C. where they claim to have every beer in the world, and they actually <laughs> had Latonia on the uh, on the menu, on, on their menu, and I went, yes, I can have it again just for the novelty of it. But they didn't have it in stock, so they lied. <laughs> yeah, anyway, but you're in Nicaragua for making a movie. Yes. Anyway, anyway, like you the, the real story to follow on, on trays is see. This we is were, where Woodcock would show back up. Yeah, if we were yeah. Doing like that. he came, he came yeah. to get Woodcock! away from Woodcock. He came Woodcock! to Bolivia too. And Woodcock just like starts twitching. Yeah. Yeah. He just runs out. He just of runs away. Just, ah! <laughs> you can actually the scene would play the same, but he would just be like, "All right, I'll just take you to the safe. I'm just going to yeah. take you to the <laughs> safe. Do it. Just I'm taking you to the safe right now." I love the performance by Hispanic Michael Caine here, though. Yes, he does. He's he's really great, and he said everything. <laughs> Hispanic. Yeah, he talks like this. Uh, that was my attempt to do Michael Caine doing a Spanish accent, yes. but that didn't work so well. Uh, so yeah, so we shot in Nicaragua in this little tiny uh, Pacific resort town. That like there's a resort on the cliff, and then overlooking that is this you know tiny little village that looks exactly like this on the screen. Uh, and so it's like day two, our second or third day of shooting. So we're still like. You know, gearing up and finding the groove that a production has to find, and pooping a lot. And I'm the assistant editor, and uh, I'm living in the same little house as the editor, and trying to you know cut away and get all the footage and turn the cards around so they can keep shooting. Because if they run out of cards, they got to keep shooting. So I just have to offload it and keep it going. You're like DIT and AE. Yeah, I literally was both at the same time. I did both jobs at the same time, which was awful. Was hell. But DIT AE was a very underrated movie, by the way. This. The town, like what Trey was talking about, and like what this town would be, is just the kind of town where they just turn off the power every now and then. They just don't have enough money to have the power on all the time. And nobody felt that it was important to tell the American movie crew <laughs> oh. <laughs> that this oh. was going to happen. Did you guys bring a bunch of Jennies? No, we, oh, I, we, yeah, and, and literally like missed uh, that note in pre-production. I, I think, I think they, no, no, we didn't bring any Jennies because we had to like scramble and go find one Generators. somewhere. Generators. Yeah. 
but that that, that, that <laughs> was for set. That was for the lights. The editor and I, our, all of our shit was set up in our little casita in our house. Like little uh, laptops and shit. Yeah. And that, that's all. It was just a couple of laptops and hard drives. And so we just didn't have any power. <laughs> and so we're like, well, we don't have power. We can't do our jobs. There's and that's when you found out about the beer, right? There's nothing we can do. <laughs> well, we eventually, like, some places of the resort had power. So we had to pack up all of our stuff move it to the little bistro restaurant next to the pool. And I had to sit there and try to process transcode and uh, sync, which was the really shitty part, like sync these sound and video in the bistro with other tourists coming and going and having beers and drinks during the day. If I recall correctly, that was one of the shows where all of their like clapperboard sounds were inaudible under the actors and you're doing it in a diner. Uh, uh, Unfortunately, I've worked on many shows where the slates have been less than audible, but yeah. But you haven't had to sync them in a diner. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Anyway. So that was fun. What's cool about the behind the scenes for this movie is the most deliberate uh, execution of a footprint in the snow scene that I've ever heard a director talk about. And this happened 11 years before footprint in the snow would become a thing that had ever happened on screen before, uh, at least in that particular incarnation. What he does was he was really obsessed with this feeling realistic throughout the entire gunfight so he spends the entire 15 minute thing where he's running around and shoot firing guns giving sundance like four different scenes where he has to reload his oh, gun yeah. after six shots and he's reloading it every single time over and over again just basically telling you this is a real gunfight he's really uh, he's reloading his shotgun or his, his uh, revolver every single time he's done every single time so that at the end, big shot where they're just like firing at everyone. He, he gets off like 18 shots with one load. <laughs> yeah. But you, you can stay with the shot and have him just keep firing and stay in the moment because your brain has been totally primed to go, yeah, he keeps reloading. He's, he's very realistic. I feel like this is a realistic fight scene. And the so whole thing in the in the end is they're going for more ammo because they can't. So right. Exactly. Yeah. It's just it's, it's basically bookended on both sides <laughs> with this, this realistic, like not movie version of guns where you have to reload, you idiots. And then that basically gives them license for this one amazing shot where you can just go... Yeah, Does he literally fire just, more than six in one shot yeah, without he, cutting away? Not in one shot, but in, in, in the sequence. They just yeah. they, they, they yeah. stop they stop pausing to reload and he just keeps firing. Right, but there right, was a shot so. in the behind the scenes of, you know, coverage. Like I'm sure they used several cameras and probably several takes of this, but there's one just take that is one of the shots from the movie, but it was just the longer version of it where he just fires the gun and the director's like, he fires it eighteen times in this take. Like, yeah, I got away with it though, because I spent you know, and he just goes well, into he can't this, fire it eighteen times in one take. It was he fired it like a lot. Well, I, <laughs> we'll fight. I think we'll, the word, I think we'll the word is seen. I don't know how. Might he, have been seen. He couldn't have fired it eighteen times in one take because a gun can't be fired eighteen times without reloading. But if it's, it's not a if it's not a real gun, if it's like no, but it was it was doing it was doing it was doing blanks. It was doing blanks. Well, Maybe, no, trace <laughs> right, trace right. It's a real gun that's yeah. firing blanks. You can't. And speaking of real guns in that scene, I had also never heard of this, which is surely illegal now. But we always think about like getting. You can either do your you know impact hits with a squib or a little charge that's built into the wall, or you can do it in post. But I had never heard of this fourth option that they used for this movie just fucking shoot at them yeah they, 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 they loaded the up gun they had these little pellets that were like little bags of dust the sweeney you, gun and you fire it at the wall and it goes Pff. yeah yeah i was on a they're I, firing it's guns yeah was, they're firing packets of dust i was on a uh, sweeney gun right past them i was on a um, um a shoot where they were doing a little uh vietnam short um and uh and they basically, they didn't do it with real guns. They did it with paintballs. They took empty paintballs, which apparently you can just do. And filled them and, with flowers. And then they filled them with uh, Fuller's Earth. And then they nice. would shoot them at, at yeah. like the trees and stuff. It's and, a good idea. Yeah. And it's and the, if you, you can buy the ones that are, that are made to spark, they're called Zerks. And, uh, and they... 
I just didn't realize that was ever like something that someone had considered much less fucking done. Which <laughs> was still, much less somebody else allowed to be they done. They still do it to this day. It's it's a, it's a common technique. Maybe it's just that they're like, the, the, the shot they're talking about that and they're showing the technique, it's like hitting Robert Redford like a, eight inches away behind him on the wall. Like, yeah. like there's just a guy who's aiming eight inches to the left of Robert Redford with his gun. Yeah. But the cameras aren't too far from them, so he was probably like right next to the camera. Pretty, that's why, that's, that's why, that's why you, A, don't ever piss off the practical effects guys. Um, <laughs> and, We're uh, warning you. <laughs> I, I can tell a story about a stunt man who pissed off the grip department one time and a stunt went horribly wrong. On purpose. Um, I would like to hear. Is that, that story. for a movie we're ever going to do? Because if not, we should do it after the intro. The we outro. should do uh, one Pet Cemetery too. Not, not only, oh. not only is it a good story, it's in the movie. You can see it happen. Oh, yeah, we'll, do that. And we'll save so, it. We'll save it. So you know, but there's no other reason to do Pet Cemetery too. But uh, <laughs> sort of my, one of my favorite, like one of my favorite stories of like, dude, I haven't done that many movies, but I know what you're doing is bad right now. But the way this is not going to end well. I don't think you. I'm speaking out of school when I say that's damn fucked up. <laughs> yeah, but no, it's well, it's, it's funny because it's like to me, it's like, well, yeah, that's how you do it because that's how we've always done it, and I, that's how we do it to this day. Squibs uh, charges, yeah, squibs exactly. Just, just firing. <laughs> I'd rather have a guy firing a gun than a squib. Squibs are squibs can go all over the place, but um, but hmm. the you know a guy with a gun, if you trust the guy with the gun, it's only going to go one place, and it's going to go where he's pointing the gun, whereas a squib can explode all over the place. But you know, it's all about camera placement. It's like. If if Robert Redford is there by the corner and the guy with the gun is around the corner, there's no way he can hit Robert Redford. He can only hit the corner of the wall, and that's that's how you get the effect. Yeah, so. the, the shot they were showing was just Robert Redford against a wall, and then a squib goes off like well, not a squib, a hit goes off right next to his head, and I'm like, Gee. well, again, that's how we do it. I do. Well, I just <laughs> had never. The movie I just had never heard of that before ever. Yeah, no, that's that's the way it's done. Squibs are much harder to rig and much and, and less common. So um, it's just nuts. Yeah, so the um, we we did a movie. It's, it's it's I was looking for it the other day. It's shocking that it doesn't exist online. Um, of all things, is we did two movies at Tippet. Um, I was just in them. I didn't have anything to do with them other than I agreed to be in them. But uh, we did two movies at Tippet. One was called Stop Motion, and the other was called Stop Motion Two: Motion Capture. I've actually seen those. Those are great. Which, which I I can't I can't I I need to write to the guy who made them, the actual guy who created them, as Eric Levin, who uh, we just talked about in Cloverfield last week when we did Cloverfield. But um, Eric Levin made them. They were his idea. He directed them. He made them, and and just got all of us at Tippet Studio to be in them. They're like little in-house inside joke short films. Exactly. The but studio. they but they kind of escaped and got out. A little bit, although I can't find them on YouTube or anywhere. It's kind of sad that they're not online because they really you should have be. a tape of it. I do Don't have, a, yeah, one. I, I, I have a VHS tape of it. I'm not sure I have a VHS player anywhere. That, <laughs> we uh, can bring it up and record it here, <laughs> if you want. but um, I did have it. We should probably do that digitize it before it's too late, but anyway, but um. But we had uh, we had we used uh, Zerks in that one, and uh, there's a scene of me um, being like the supervillain, <laughs> which is Trey where, plays an evil genius. I play an evil genius in the, in the second one, in the sequel, and uh, and I'm wearing a cape, and they've got a they've got a mole fan on me, and it's a shot from overhead, and I'm like I'm wearing like it's not these sandals, but it's similar sandals. I'm like I'm like sort of like the laid back, you know hippie San Francisco supervillain, so I've got, like, sandals on, um, but i got a cloak, and my hair is loose, and the, they've got a mole fan on me, so my hair is blowing, and I'm doing the slow motion, like, you know, with my with my staff of power into the, up into the camera, and just to liven up the scene, they had some Zerks that they... We didn't even have a gun to shoot the Zerks with, but you can literally just throw them because they will explode on contact. It's like they're, those little... Uh, like the little like snap, snap yeah, like the little things. snap poppers. That's exactly what they are, but they're in a paintball. And so... <laughs> so they just Steve Stanton was the man who did it. In fact, Steve Stanton threw them at you know down at my feet, um, 
and in the in the take that's in the ended up in the show, um, one landed like right like at my foot, and so Ooh. and it's all in slow motion. It's just a little spark that goes off, but still, um, it's a little surprising. So in the in the <laughs> slow motion, you can actually see me going yeah, and then the thing explodes on my foot, and my face kind of goes yeah. <laughs> there's, there's a definite change in my acting style when an explosion goes off under my toe. So, um, but that's how we do it in the uh, in the actual movie business. I, how have I come you kids this far? Ruined it with the with digital. How have I come this far? Not only just in the film industry, but also doing this fucking podcast for four years. Never knew they actually fired that shit at actors. <laughs> did you know that, Mike? Well, I, I did just because I did that. That yep. short. Brian, right, did you know so, that? Not really. No. They, they fired Strother Martin. Just probably did. that's how they just pasted Strother Martin there. Well, it's like if you ever play paintball, the worst that happens is it hurts, but you don't die. Are they firing them out of real um, guns or like um, out of no, like no, paintball air guns. guns? It's literally the equivalent of paintball. Okay, guns. okay. I just was worried like they're firing this at like 500 miles an hour. I'm like a, a little bag of sand is exactly the same as a bullet at 500 miles an yeah, hour. But the, but the thing is, when you're playing paintball, you wear goggles and a face mask, yeah. and you don't. Fuck Robert, Robert Redford is not pretty. wearing. Let's, let's, let's fix it. A lot of risky stuff happens in making movies. It's yeah. all about minimizing the risk. Oh no! I mean, the, the the big the key piece of information there was just what just happened, which is it's not a gun; it's a little air. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's that, that changes the the, the standard one was was uh, created. I mean, maybe not this era, but uh, lately since then, it's uh, a guy named Matt, Matt Sweeney, I think is his name, created sort of the standardized version of it, which really is it really is just a paintball gun. But uh, he, he standardized it. It's called a Sweeney gun still to this day. And you buy Zerks or the exploding ones, but there's also right. dust, dust hits, and you can buy the empty ones and fill it with whatever. Blood um, or you something. Fill, actually, and you do it, um, you can fill them with Vaseline, and that's how you can do a window shatter. Ah, um, oh, that's crazy because it would. Oh wow! It makes a, for, for the purposes of a quick cut. Yeah, it goes. It goes blap, and it makes these you know streaky lines that go out, and that's how you do a window shatter on on a car window or something. Oh, you uh, should be on, you on should be on our podcast, man. Yeah. You're great. Yeah, I, I know. It's like it's like I've done visual effects. Before, yeah, I think so. the reason you you don't hear about that because yeah, in behind the scenes stuff, nobody really does talk about that. They're always talking about the squibs. They show you rigging up the squibs and stuff like that. And so like even in this movie they have the charge and the table right. when they're eating but they get shot. And so in the in the you know the low budget indie world when people have been putting together little books and blogs and stuff like that, they're like, yeah, they do it with like squibs and like they they're sharing around that information. But probably wisely no one is sharing around the information. Just shoot at it, dude. You you it's, often need yeah. to you often also a lot of the stuff until you, now. You yeah. also have to be licensed to to be able to buy some of these these things. You right. have to be licensed to buy Pyro and so on, but um, it, it, actually, I am surprised that it hasn't gotten out more to because airsoft us. guns and paintball guns and it's stuff cheap like that. It's, and apparently better. And all you yeah. have to control for is not having a drunk moron behind yeah. the gun. Don't exactly. don't shoot him in the fucking face. But a lot of filmmaking that, yeah. depends on not having drunk morons. Now, now and you, yet still, uh, yeah. some filmmaking <laughs> requires this true. Drunk but if you want to talk about horrifying things one of the things that you can't do anymore that used to be common in westerns is how you make a horse fall down I, oh, that yeah. was also in the BTS yeah, but you can the, tell it the, 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 I think they called it a flying W the running W is yeah. the, the most horrifying thing that's kind of hard to believe that we and they did it in existed. this movie too is there a running W in this one yeah I wouldn't be surprised yeah, between, the mule. between the, mule, the mule and the horse oh there you go it's been it's been phased out since it's no longer allowed but, even then he was like and it's still it's illegal to do this in America yeah, he said that's that exactly at the time it. yeah exactly it's, it's totally illegal to you it's literally just a it's the simplest thing in the world it's a it's it's just because it's a device that's shaped like a w it goes on the horse's belly it's strapped under the the saddle and it it it's a loop that goes through the gizmo on his stomach and is a loop around his front legs this is ankles and, and you tie off the back 
and then you make him run, and there's going to be a point when it's going to just cut his front legs out from under him, and he's going to face plant. <laughs> That's how you make a horse Jesus. fall down on camera, on cue, on a on a mark. And he went so far as to say in the thingy, he's like, so what you do is you just it, it yanks and the thing goes down on its face and the reason it's illegal is because most of the time the they, mule or the horse breaks its neck they die a lot yeah it, it, it kills them a lot he's like in every movie that didn't happen which was good and yeah. then he just moves on i'm like what did you do yeah they 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 totally died and and so that used to be the standard way it's like yeah yeah that he survived good for you horse um you don't you don't do it with your good horse yeah, yeah, yeah. um so you should do it with the mule because that mule it's not going to contribute yeah so so as you can see, you can see how they transition because in the later movies, when the, once the running, especially American movies, because it was you know whenever that became illegal, um, you can see how there's another way of making a horse fall where the where the stunt guy will go, oh, I'm shot, and kind of slide they up side, and he'll slide sideways and yeah. just kind of and pull the horse, t- pull the horse over, over yeah. and the just horse torque it over. The horse knows like, oh, we're falling now, and he'll he'll do oh, it. I see. But but, um, but yeah, but you don't get that that shocking like blap with a horse like there's a face plant because yeah. you can't train a horse to do that. You yeah. can only make a horse do that. Horses yeah, you have can a pretty see. strong evolutionary instinct not to fall face first at 20 yeah, miles at a we, full gallop yeah. we got to see that in Lord of the Rings because those are digital horses but yeah. otherwise the way you do it in westerns and the way you'll see it in westerns is the horse rearing up and going over or on yeah, its side go, oh, right. yeah. falling and what was funny is and not funny but what was amusing in terms of that context like oh my god they did that to an animal that's really fucked up and then I'm the guy feeling really horrified and right then the now guy, and the guy was that. like and he didn't even die it was fine but he's saying that over the footage from like some b-roll camera that's not part of the movie that is filming the goings on and that's the footage you're watching when he's talking about this so you can see the little device very clearly you don't see it actually in the movie because it's wires and it's pretty small but you're just watching that happen in the fucking mule it was on the mule he's riding between a horse and a mule and the mule has it on him and he goes down uh and you can see his legs just kind of like a mule they get pulled together and the, the mule's like, ow, what? And it hits the ground. And then, you know, someone says, all right, cut. But the B-roll camera didn't cut. So then you see the mule trying to get back up, but his fucking front paws are tied together with handcuffs. And he's like, up, fall, up, fall, up, fall. And he's like Jesus hurting Christ. himself, rolling around on the floor. Yeah, it's illegal. Freaking it was out. illegal in America then. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Now it's a crime against fucking mule-manity. Yeah. But hey, we got to get the shot, man. We're making a movie here. One of these days, is it Pet Cemetery too? We're also going to tell the story about how you get a dog to jump through a plate glass window. <laughs> yeah, but, but the dog, there was no injury to the dog in that. Yeah, one. I know. It's just funny where it's like, how do you get an animal to do something fucked well, up that it, it would course, never do? Well, when you're dealing with you know animals and movies, it's like there there are people who are extreme animal rights activists who you know object to a, an animal being inconvenienced or startled and thinks that's too people, much for a they, movie. The ASPCA and, was pissed that they killed the roaches in NIV. Yep. They had, they had to get uh, the ASPCA or PETA. Could have been either, but I think it was ASPCA. Well, you have to get like a, you have to pay a really Peter big needs fine. needs to shut up. Peter will get is, mad at yeah. anything. Well, yeah, they Peter, get mad Peter will at object human to shit. No, but they had to. I remember that they had to pay a really big fine to step on the roaches. Did they actually kill roaches in MIB? Maybe it wasn't MIB. I know. In, uh, well, yeah, troopers, troopers, so. troopers, they had Tro- to do a troopers special thing. where they're like troopers. They like, literally crush roaches on, on camera. Yeah. They had to like get a special kind of like. Well, all right. It's important for the story. If you pay yes. us $20,000 to protect other roaches, you can kill them. The only good bug is the dead bug. And have, imagine, I, have I already told the, the duck story? Have I actually told that on air before? No. Oh, that's I don't think so. The story of the ducks from the... the, the what, oh, what the hell is it called? The Naked Gun movie? No. No. I've told you off camera, though. Yeah. Uh, off air. Oh, I don't, don't think you ever said it on air. All right. Well, we have to find a good excuse to do it. Anyway, we should talk about this movie. <laughs> yeah. But, have uh, I never told that amazing story? Okay. Well, okay, well it, tell it. On the other hand, I can hear Well, John, first of all, if I've never told you guys, I'm not going to tell it now. Yeah. I'm going to tell it later. And if, you know, we have to. I've heard it, the right, but I don't think they have. Yeah. I feel I like I've told it somewhere on, on one of these shows. But anyway. Hey, but, you know, Cassidy. I can just hear, I can hear John Pavlich and Zarban yelling, oh my God, please talk about the classic film you're watching. This is. I'm good. And this is actually a very 
important this is scene. A key for, this is where reasons. she says, "I'm I'm gone." Right? So well, this I is where this home. is this is where she says, "I'm gone," and this is. You know the the subtext is the unspoken callback to I'm not going to be here to watch you die. Right. Well, she's if she's saying I'm going to leave, she's saying I'm pretty sure you guys are going to die yeah. soon. Yeah, she goes. This is this is the strings running out. This is yeah. this is coming to an end here, and uh, they're about and so, to face plant at a full gallop. Yeah, yeah. pretty much. So so it's we we actually we kind of we kind of were. This is a beautiful shot. It is. Right it's now. really pretty. It's, Dr. Jones. And the director <laughs> is doing, fresh three days. The director is doing his classic thing that he loved for this movie, which was he wants to put as much shit in front of the actors as possible. So he was like blowing dust in front of the camera for shots where it doesn't make sense. He was shooting them between like fences and shit, especially in the whole Burt Bacharach scene that you oh, watched. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And what was crazy is they were annoyed with it on set. There's actually B-roll footage from that same sort of like the mule horror camera of uh, fucking Paul Newman, who during a take... Like was joking around, like the sort of like Harrison Ford staples the gun to his hat kind of moment, where he took off his holster and wrapped it around his head real tight, and then he put a bunch of weeds in it, just covering up his face. <laughs> He's like ah. in protest. Exactly. Uh, you stop like putting that, shit George. between me and the camera. That's it. Anyway, I'm sorry, Trey. You were going to say. I was something. just going to uh, just. Uh, what was I going to say? I was just talking about. Uh, well, the whole we we skipped the whole sort of going straight business, but the which is their sad. attempt to go straight. Yeah, yeah the idea which is when he has to kill someone. With Strother, for the first with, yeah, with Strother Martin. I know he's like, yeah, I'm yeah. trying to get out of the business, and that's yeah. this is the worst thing that's ever now happened. I've, now to me. I've killed people. Yeah, when I'm a bank robber, I don't kill people. This is messed up. So, so yeah, we actually are. You know, what's also really interesting is that other than other than the Kat, Catherine Ross. I think I'm just going to go home now. Um, this this scene doesn't telegraph at all. Like this is the end. Like right. <laughs> this is you know they're dead. They're, well, dead. there is a shot of the In- cook off to the side. That's yeah, there, there is that one shot of the cook. Yeah, that's a little little extreme. But but it doesn't it doesn't like it doesn't feel like it's time for that yet. You know, it yeah. doesn't yeah. feel like you know. And they're and they're of course they're you know they're completely oblivious. They're like you know well so anyway just continuing their bickering. So. It, it's kind of what we're saying. Holy shit, the, there is a shot of a cook. <laughs> He's a more of a busboy. I was going to say that was a really weird moment because that joke has happened like 10 times on this podcast, but every time it happens, Brian's the one who's like, it's actually not that bad, you guys. And he just started the joke this time. <laughs> I don't think it's that bad. I don't think it's uh, But you're like, I admire the fact the joke exists. But it, I'm just, yeah, I'm just doing the joke. <laughs> I'm not endorsing the point of view like of the, the joke. joke. We're yeah. just doing the joke. Yes, exactly. That's the important thing. I can make a joke about the Holocaust without endorsing the Holocaust. This is the table that Same they thing. can go, go ahead. <laughs> yeah. Let's see that. <laughs> this is the table where they uh, they wired it up with just a you know a standard charge where they put a little baby little bomb in the table and they have it wired over. Although something else that was cool that yeah, I learned. Ding. Speaking of the way that this sort of shit was done at the time, I don't know if it still is. I can't imagine it is. Uh, for one particular technical reason, which was I guess for one reason or another. Uh, I have to imagine that this is related to it was easier just to record location sound than it was to do any sort of really you know extended audio mix after the fact. The way they would do the gunshot hits, including this charge, this is the one he brings up when he's talking about this particular way of doing things, is they would wire it to, you know, it's a charge, so it's got two wires coming out of it, you touch them, and that completes the circuit, and it goes, Poof, and it does whatever you want. So if it's, you know, plugged in the table, the table goes, Poof. makes sense. But what he would do is he would tape you know, the positive to one finger, like his index finger, and the negative to his thumb, and he would just, you know, clasp his fingers together to make it go off. But the reason he did it like that, as opposed to just sort of, you know, holding the two wires, is so he could time it perfectly with the gun that was in his right hand that he would just fire into the sky so he could fire the gun to make the sound, 
hmm. and closes fingers to close the circuit at the exact same second. So you so get a gunshot. Or the, the gunshot on the location. Exactly. Wow. Like that's the. Well, they, he never explicitly said why he did that, but that's got to be the reason. Because yeah. why else would you fire the gun? Because it's not on screen. It's not doing anything. It's just making the sound. Maybe to get them to react. I think, I think something it's blowing sound. up right near him is probably going to do it too. But, but yeah. he's, he's over there, like you know, the, the pyro guy's over there with a gun pointed at the sky. Yeah, so you need and the, his fingers ready to you go. Need the, you need the yeah the. And the he name. squeezes the trigger and closes his fingers at the exact same moment, so you blow the squib and fire the gun at the same time. I thought that was really odd. Yeah. That's neat. It is neat. It's just odd. I think it just it's helping the actors because otherwise all it's going to do is go mm-hmm. and a little a little you know piece of wood will fly off a table. And so. then they've got to act. Yeah. Which it seems, the, the way they talk about it, it seems like they had weirdly more trouble with that back in the day, to be honest, because the, like they were talking about how in um, how in this movie, George Roy Hill apparently really, in, I listened to the commentaries, George Roy Hill apparently really l- tried to shoot in sequence. He really wanted to shoot his movies in sequence because like... Otherwise, it was emotional re- through line. Yeah, emotional yeah. through line and all that. It's easier to keep track of where the characters are and where you are stylistically and blah blah blah. But blah, he couldn't blah. do the train scene that way. Yeah, yeah, but he had to shoot some of this movie out of order, and apparently that was like it was just a nightmare for everyone. Like they had to <laughs> get into their character from like way down the line and then slingshot back. And I'm like, hey, that's just acting, though. You have Dude, to. We do get that. Shia LaBeouf to do that. You can, you're Paul Newman. You can handle. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Although, uh, although apparently they did make the point that a lot of these people. Um, a lot of the the great actors of this time were stage actors, actors who were right, who were right. used to running through from beginning to end yeah. and used to going that way as opposed to leaping around like actors today are. He, uh, it, I forget which book it's in, but he tells a story um, somewhere. I think it's the making of this film where he talks about how Paul Newman is just you know he's like akin to Tom Hanks. He's just like you know likable guy, just a great guy. Just you know everyone loves him on set. You know he never a problem, never a diva, never you know any, nothing remotely like that. Um, and he just, but there's this one incident. I think it was it's from this movie at some point where um, just one day he was having just a little bit of a thing, and and so, but the way he re- registered is uh, the way Goldman tells the story is is um, they're setting up a scene, they're you know setting lights, they're just kind of you know doing a thing, um, and for whatever reason Newman's kind of over in the corner, he starts clapping his hands together, he starts doing this like sort of slap, and everyone's like, what, what's what's Paul doing over there? Um, and everyone's kind of, he's not like trying to draw attention, but he's kind of like clearly got something like idly kind, of, kind of bugging him. He's just kind of like, mm, mm, mm. Feeling and, uh, impatient And then something. so finally he gets, um, finally he, everyone's sort of like, oh, Paul, what's up over there? He's like, yeah, that's weird, he doesn't do that. And he goes, uh, can we move this along? I really need to get this. For whatever whatever the moment he was he trying, would, yeah, he was whatever moment he was trying uh, to act, he was like, "I'm I'm I'm gonna lose this headspace pretty soon if we don't start rolling." There and should be an emo- emotional fluff around movies like this. Yeah, but that was like the closest that anyone could come up with. Like, oh yeah, what a tantrum he threw! <laughs> now, just like, can we speed this up? I'm, I kind of need to. That uh, I, that I can understand. Tantrum was yeah. On a d- uh, film on a day to day basis, being Here we go. I can Here see, goes the mule. Yeah. So the the or the white the one white is one the, one the one. mule. It's, yeah, it's the one that's got, on him. it's got a flying W on its front paws. So front hooves and. And, and they didn't even use the tape. No, no, they're about the beginning to. of the day. You'll see it from the yeah. 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 face plan. And they said, "Yeah, that's a pretty good way to kill a horse." Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, I can I can understand that if you're on the day and you've got to do a really emotional yeah, yeah, scene, yeah. it's like you yeah. know, just ask Christian Bale. Apparently, the yeah. uh, the metaphor that uh, one of my acting teachers used at one point was in terms of you know when you're what they call in the Meisner technique the emotional preparation. You know, getting yourself in in the right headspace. <clears> which they're you know over there they're like. That that's your job is to be able to do that and to figure out how to get your brain to do whatever you needed to do to, to be able to do that on the day on cue 
On cue, exactly on cue. Uh, but the metaphor yeah. that she used at one point was, uh, it's like you have to bring a pot to a simmer ready to boil. Right, so right, you right. have to basically, on the day of work, put yourself in a simmer situation, and then when you're ready to shoot the scene, be ready to crank it over and boil it over. It seems like it'd be a good ones. idea in that situation. Say you're a famous actor and you can kind of just do this sort of shit where you know you have a scene where it's like, I need to be right at the simmer at the beginning of the scene I'm uh, uh, sort of co-opting the analogy to keep using the sort sure, of symbolism sure. but you're, you have to be at a simmer at the beginning and boil in the scene like you have to be yeah. already right there that second and you have to do this scene at like four but you don't know exactly how long it's going to take to set up but as soon as they're ready you got to go because the rent like so I feel like that's a, actually the, the tricky part of it well yeah is, it feels like a smart thing to do would be to like managing the logistics you know say it. you're Hanks or something but like someone who can just do this sort of shit hire a good actor to come and hang out in your trailer and argue with you in character <laughs> like a lot, a lot he, of actors do that, per, yeah, that person doesn't have to be in the movie just argue with the character and you're staying in character just being like no fuck you fuck you I've always thought and then it's like okay go on stage right now go go action what, uh, fucking <laughs> what's actually interesting is uh, another story they will tell at Playhouse which was co-founded by Jeff Goldblum is one apparently what Goldblum likes to do is read uh, a particular poem or a particular uh, mono- of course he does. monologue from a, <laughs> oh. one particular play but no matter what what he's doing no matter what the scene is he will read this particular poem or, or monologue from a play whatever it is to get himself in the right headspace and to just like work himself to basically bring himself to a boil or a simmer uh and he apparently he does this all the time and i was actually uh working for another director who had, had directed goldblum in like the first um you know, a long time ago on an hbo thing and he independently, like, I, I did not tell the director this story at all. And huh. he completely independently was like, yeah, he has this thing that he yeah. reads all the time. Like a poem or some right shit. Before he, right before he shoots, and it doesn't change his performance at all. <laughs> he just thinks it does. He just thinks it we does. We just tell him it does. We go, that was great, Jeff. Now, okay, we're, we, we should... The classical we're, ending. We're literally yeah. about 90 seconds away from the end of this yeah. movie here. Um, <laughs> there's there's two aspects to... Uh, first of all, this, the scene where they where they jump back into the... You know, they've, they've just gotten shot up, and they are fatally mortally wounded they're dying and uh the you know they have their little banter is that what you call cover and blah blah blah. looking back apparently goldman is horrified that he had them do that wait wait he was like because it's like he doesn't think they should be sniping at each other in that moment he think like it's weird because i'm watching it and i'm like no i totally get it they're like yeah that's their relationship they're just works just fine yeah that that's that's how they're that's that's almost even though they're the words are sniping at each other. They're yeah. trying to act like it's okay. They're in denial. Yeah, and the, yeah. and that's that's and talks making that. things seem like they're cool. You but know? He, but like, he says he's still cool with the rest of the scene, which is the same this, thing. Yeah. Is this whole like the Australia bit is perfect. Yeah, it really is. It's, I love the look he gives him. Yeah, Shut the fuck up. Secretly, I figured you secretly wanted to know, so I was going to. What would Goldman do now? Uh, he he said he wouldn't it's have had silence. any dialogue at all. They would have just been them like breathing and in the agony and. and I stuff have that like thing where I, I will screw him. I was gonna yeah. say. Yeah. I was gonna yeah. say like I have this thing where I'm like ninety. That's why we don't let people change their movies. <laughs> I'm like hundred and five percent sure that William Goldman is better at screenwriting than me, and that he knows more than I do, and that he's felt the way I feel, and now he's moved on past that and understands it at a at a weird Yoda level, where it's like <laughs> like a sentient crystal now of screenwriting or something, <laughs> but. I totally disagree with William <laughs> Goldman there. Yeah. Sentient crystal of screenwriting. <laughs> sentient crystal of screenwriting. 
he's is. just well, he's like eighty years old now, so he's gradually becoming <laughs> yeah. just he, a small like sentient. a Star Trek character. He's <laughs> yeah. discarding his well, corporal well, yeah. reality. He's gradually well, forming a, a, a carbonite well, exterior, yeah. and, the, and the the brain is just becoming a. But I thought it totally reads as plausible. Uh, you know, the, the, these two guys who have always been it's sort great. of like it's one of the greatest. Yeah, endings. You know, it's one of the greatest endings in movies they're, ever. They're, it's, it's basically they're two guys that are have always sort of like not taken life quite so seriously yeah. and now it's like oh my god it's ending and they're not and, taking death and they're, seriously and they're, and they're, yeah. it, well it's not even necessarily that it's that their point of defense for oh my god I'm in this horror is just to play it off and be yeah. snipey like you thought that was cover yeah you know they're still and they're they're still doing that That one scene there is so amazing that yeah. that scene the, the Australia scene where they're talking about that the two performances are so amazing because they're yeah. they're playing that role and yet they are I mean you know it was probably hot and they were a little uncomfortable but they're playing the I feel myself dying <laughs> yeah, I am I'm, literally I'm, dying I'm, right I'm fading out right fading now. out then, right now and yeah stuff like that and then like there's that. the final setup for the punchline which is like yeah thought for a second we were in trouble yeah it's just you know in the, the chat the rob says app. that goldman has said he is really moved by stupid courage yes mm-hmm. it's gunga din story he always Which talks about describes this ending a lot yeah. all right so how do they do this goddamn shot so here we go well, let's, let's analyze it because we're already in it super yeah. super tight like this okay. looks like it's a hundred millimeter shot right here okay so it's a little touch grainy but perfectly acceptable for yeah. yeah i mean it looks like any other you know process shot right and it always gets weird at at the end of these old movies because they always had to process them anyway. Yeah, because the, the the transition into the credits, yeah, is yeah. an optical effect. So that, pre- but are there credits here? Because they, they they did them they all. Do. They, they do. Have the, they yeah. have the brief no, seventies credits. But of, the reason yeah. for people who yeah, don't know is that credits were an optical effect, just like any other visual effect were at the time. Which means you end up processing the piece of film that was the last shot yeah. way more. Hence, yeah. even in like Ghostbusters, the last shot before the credits is like. Yeah, you can yeah. always tell. There was always this click over to like oh, bad, that's shitty. Yeah. yeah, and then the yeah, or, or even a, just a dissolve. You'll see like the the whole character of the the footage will change because yeah. it's been treated. Okay, so do they? Let me guess. So, let, me, let me guess. Let me guess. Okay, do they shoot this in this division with a wide angle lens and then just blow way into the frame? You would think so. That was my thought, but no. Okay, what they do? Because okay. if you don't, do you if, you, take if, you, if you don't know, they shot VistaVision and, and pushed in. Oh, really? Oh, well, no. I mean, they <laughs> I shot. Rule. No, no, no. In the behind the scenes, they were talking about. They Let did, me have this, Michael. They did a couple things. <laughs> what they, what they, they had it's, the. But it's also, it's also a tiled thing as well. Yeah, it, yeah, yeah, yeah. What they did was they had a camera. Um, they had the the VistaVision and they they shot the thing and then they pushed in on the on the close. But then to get all the way out like that, they had a stills camera directly down the line of sight, the same line of sight that yeah. the the uh, you know the the movie Just camera to get a was wider in. angle with the same focal length or the same. Uh, and then no no no. And distortion. then they and then they moved everything out. They shot a clean plate and they shot a, a clean wide and then they. You know, did their you know they did old timey Photoshop yeah. to to put the the film frame and into that tracking. background and then and then uh. put it on an animation table and actually pulled out of yeah. the frame. So it's VistaVision, but it's even bigger than VistaVision, yeah. the ultimate frame. In case you didn't listen to our Close Encounters commentary briefly, VistaVision is just to get higher res and a wider picture. Yeah. You just literally film the shot with two cameras Vis- at once. That's how no, they no, got their VistaVision. No. no, VistaVision is one camera, but it's it's seventy millimeter, but it's sideways. Right. VistaVision so it's, is like the grandfather of IMAX, basically. Yeah. They should. They you run the thirty five mil. It's thirty five millimeter film, which is why 35. it was a big deal. Sorry, thirty five. But yeah, it's 35. sideways. But you run it sideways, and so it it prints on two thirty five frames, and that's how you get the seventy mil right. frame. And there's a split, but you connect it. No, there's no split. No, because it just goes straight across the the frame. the 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 idea of the frame is is created by the exposure. It's not. There's not yeah. discrete frames printed. Film in the 35 is just one millimeter strip film. of emulsion. So. Well, no, I know, but. 
I thought Vista, I thought the point of Vista Vision was the right half of the screen is on frame A and the second half is on frame B. And no, you play it's, it back just, a, it's just a larger widescreen frame because it's oh, sideways. Okay. Yeah, so, Vista Vision was one of the many attempts to create a widescreen process. So you would it was originally intended to shoot in Vista Vision just like you would shoot in Cinerama or you know any of IMAX the other now. any IMAX now, but IMAX yeah, is a you know, megawatt. But we're talking about the fifties, sixties getting out of the 133 aspect ratio and getting into the 235 or the 16 by 9 to give people a reason to just to get, not sit to stop and watching watch television, television. And, you know yeah. that's where wide this widescreen movies but there was no standardization VistaVision was one of the ways to do a widescreen movie but it didn't really catch on um, didn't last very long very few movies were shot in VistaVision but then a couple of years after that there were all these junky cameras that shot this extremely huge frame and all the effects companies went well that's awesome we can totally use that we need high rise plates y'all yeah. yeah so VistaVision became coveted by effects people and and Vista like DreamQuest had VistaVision cameras and, and it became film. like a became like a whole thing because you have to if you have VistaVision cameras first of all you have to maintain those and then you have to have VistaVision projectors which no one makes right. and no one maintains so you know sometimes we'd be at DreamQuest looking at dailies and go up oh, the the projector stripped a gear Come back tomorrow because yeah, we got to call them. Do anything? We got to call the machine shop to make another one of those gears for the VistaVision projector. What's crazy about this movie and a lot of old movies, and it's fun because I love doing old movies for this reason exactly. Is they've basically it's not, it's not like the credits are much shorter. I mean, obviously there's larger crews these days, but it's not like they're proportionately much shorter. It's just that they're all in the beginning, and then the end credits are like Robert Redford done. Though they're yeah. also much shorter because <laughs> this is we have to do the visual effects thing at some point. You don't need to get a credit in a movie you worked on. That's a new thing. That's a new thing. There's no law that says everyone has to get a credit in a movie. There's, there's not one grip credit on this movie, nor is there a grip credit on any movie prior to 1980. Wait, 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 wait. I, I was a grip on Butch Cassidy. And the you have to prove I wasn't. <laughs> That's right. Everyone was a grip before 1980. So, so, you know, because again, we're looking at... We talked about this on Jaws. You know, the studio system, first of all, you didn't work on a movie. You worked for the studio. What are you doing this week? I'm doing something Butch Cassidy and the hoedown jock or something. Like we're in a black box theater or something. You know, I don't know what it is, but, you know, I've got a job. I I work for the studio, and they send me where they They, send me. They sent me over to that corner today. I don't get a credit. I'm a, you know, I just, I show up on a set, and I... I I don't get a credit. I get a paycheck. I get a paycheck and benefits. Uh, So so the idea of... So there are pluses and minuses to each system. Exactly. So the the idea of credits is, you know, especially like every... the problem Every in person, VFX like, is they don't get either, really. Exactly. Yeah, that's, that's the thing. But the, whenever VFX people go, we should get credit. Okay, you're an asshole. You're going yeah. for the wrong thing. Credit is the least important thing. Credit is the thing that doesn't actually improve your life at all. <laughs> what you want is better pay, better working conditions, and, and benefits. Healthcare. That's what you want. If you get into this to be a movie star, you pick the wrong Wait thing. A you're a visual effects artist. Are you saying that people in other industries get like healthcare and dentist That's shit right. Covered? But they don't get famous. That's the trade-off. In other jobs, they actually let you go to the doctor if you need to. <laughs> yeah. right. And they'll is, pay for my it. My name is they'll Teague. I've been it. paid to be a professional visual effects artist for yeah. seven years, and uh, I'd love health care. Yeah. yeah. But so, you know what you got? You got your name and some credits, didn't you? Yeah, well, so there you someone go. who's listening to this work and at fucking Best Buy worried about tomorrow morning? <laughs> fuck you, man. I want, I want, I want health care. <laughs> so tip to visual effects artists, stop talking about credits because that's how the studios know you're jag-off amateurs and they know they can keep screwing you because you got your eye on the wrong ball. Anyway, uh, so, so I'm just saying what's true. It's not popular, but it's true. So yeah, oh, I'll, I'll take this. I'll take the soapbox from you now. Just a, just a bunch of kids. They don't away. know Jack yet. This is fine. We can, do, we can screw them for another 10 years. They haven't figured this out. <laughs> They're not watching this movie yeah. anyway. Not they, even... they, they haven't seen a movie before 1970 and understand that no one gets credits. It's a bullshit thing. It's like, 
Just again, what, just what, like, one last topic on this is like, you think the studios go, oh, I hope they don't ask us to put their names in credits. Yeah. Because that costs us so hard <laughs> to do that. That is such a systemically and institutionally difficult thing to pull off. No, no. I sure hope that's really hard, you guys. What are you going to give us if we go that far? Anyway, so, so but you, like you said, you, the, the credits around the 70s when the studio system collapsed and every movie became an independent production. And people weren't like working for the studios, and I don't want to move him on this week. I don't care. Hello, That's Dolly. when it's like thanks and to people... our associate producer and the guy who made the set. Exactly. Yeah. So now everyone is like, well, you know, now we. And, that, and that's when credits be- started becoming became a bigger and bigger, and, and yeah. became moved to the end because you couldn't put all of them up front. So you see this. You see it in movies as, as late as Jaws. Jaws has the Universal style studio credits where most of it's up front, and then there's one title card at the end with all the principal actors, and not even all of them, and the movie's over. It's crazy. Anyway, Butch Casting the Sundance Kid. It's funny because the more I think about it, the more I think that if I was on a like some sort of a mission, like if I had a kid, like I, re- I think about like Film Nerd 2.0 or like like Drew McQueenie's uh, introducing his kids to these classic movies, and he's writing blog posts about it on HitFix that are amazing, and you should check it out. It's great, uh, Film Nerd 2.0. But if I was doing something like that with a friend who wasn't you know five, but they had never seen like movies be like before 1980. I think even though Butch Cast and the Sundance Kid isn't a fully recommendable, like full throated, fucking amazing Godfather Citizen Kane kind of movie, it is even those ex- you don't want to show your kid. Yeah, it, it is an excellent <laughs> gateway to, to that shit because it's a really likable and really accessible movie. Yeah, that yeah. doesn't look like it was shot last night. So it it kind of get, it gets you into that zone, and I I, I would love to sort of. Trey mentioned the, at the intro, and he's totally fucking right. This could be a perfect gateway. What you okay. need to do is show them. I didn't them, understand. Yeah, the, show right. show them Butch Cash and the Sundance Kid, and they'll be like, they'll accept it and like it. They won't be like, well, that was amazing. It's like I never said it was amazing. I said you should watch it, <laughs> and then you show them this thing. Like now they're primed for watching. Like all right, this one has a couple of explosions. Yeah. So and it's witty repartee, yeah. and it's fun, and it's sort of like postmodern in its weird way. Uh, Butch Cassidy is you know great and. Uh, I would find it ultimately forgettable if it wasn't just sort of imbued into the culture in this weird, massive way. Um, but it is what it is, and it's a really likable movie. And I'm I'm glad that it exists. I'm glad that there's a movie like this that I can go back to and watch to get a, a sense of the counterculture approach to writing in the 60s, which you don't often see in movies, like, because I don't watch, you know, Andy Warhol's fucking short films. It's like, all right, well, here's, this is not what they were really doing. But this this happened then too. It's like for some reason I feel the same way about the song "So Happy Together" by the Turtles, where you listen <laughs> wow. to that song and you're like, that doesn't actually sound like it's 50 years old, but it is. Yeah. Why doesn't it sound like it's 50 years old? Why doesn't it sound like all that? Sh- because it literally doesn't sound like the Beatles. It doesn't sound like anything. It sounds like a, it would have been a weird sounding song then. <laughs> it's a weird sounding <laughs> song at always. Yeah. Which means it's it doesn't actually it's timeless, it's timeless, timeless, weird. exactly. It doesn't fit into any of your preconceived notions of what the decade was doing. You just go, that song is just kind of fun. I like that song. Listen to it again right now. It could be a killer single. You don't fucking know. And that's the same thing with Casting the Sundance Kid. It sort of sits out of time as an interesting gateway into other stuff that you might be put off by at first because it didn't seem accessible to you. But you watch this, you're like, all right, my head's in the right space. Give him the sting. That's that's my trick. Give him the sting is <laughs> always my give trick. Him give him the sting. I, and then no, you give him the sting. Give the sting <laughs> I was suspe- when they're least expecting it. <laughs> I was suspended after prom. Anyway, Brian. <laughs> How old was your kid when you first gave him the sting? Oh, was, uh, Brian, have, right, so after the conversation, yeah, such as it was... Um, Honestly, I think if this movie were made, you know, two years ago and we were coming in, we would spend the entirety of this commentary 
doing our you know just ripping it fixing <laughs> like yeah. maybe not necessarily like full-on ripping it but god so many missed opportunities this is definitely like if this movie were two years old this is definitely like the kind of movie that we would sit and quote-unquote fix and go oh there's setups and payoffs that aren't paid off and the, you know the this needs to be fixed and that's dropped and this um so i'm curious you know what we should take a look at and consider doing although it's a really long movie uh, the assassination of Jesse James, yada yada yada, because uh, yeah. that one is a very is very similar title. in a lot of ways, huh? It's even a long title. Yeah, the I didn't. Get, I, movie. I gave up on the title halfway through. But, <laughs> yeah. um, I gave up on the movie halfway. through. I liked yeah. the movie. I, I, I couldn't I, get through it. I, I couldn't. Get I couldn't make through it. Actually, I, I, I had to like watch it again. 30, 45 minutes in, and was like, I'm done. Well, you, you in, as someone who could speak, I don't know if a, we could talk about it the whole time, but it's interesting. It would be interesting the whole time. It would be interesting to look at for that same reason. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Um, so now all that being said, it's obviously an important, you know, moment and example and, and of a transition, of, of a tra- yeah, a transitional historical example of, of cinema and, and all of that. Um, so it's very historically important and it's, I think it's carried largely in large part by just the charisma and chemistry between Redford and, and Newman. Like, I think that's a majority and I, again, it's like. Structurally, it's not it's not terrible structurally. It's just kind of awkward structurally, yeah. and to a lesser extent, tonally. And I think a lot of that is is compensated by the chemistry between the two of them and their individual charisma. Structure isn't its only currency. Yeah, yeah. And, it, and it feels weird, kind of saying that about William Goldman. But I mean, even he says you he know, knows. Yeah, he he knows. He you know he talks it's about sentient crystal the <laughs> this stuff like Whoa. man this sh- I, stuff I I would but he says you know this this was really important movie for me as a learning experience and so we get this so later on we can get Princess Bride and all the uh, all the president's men and um, absolute power and etc. So. Mike, wouldn't it be amazing if you could say about Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid that was a good learning experience but I had to get it out of my system so I could make the <laughs> yeah. Princess Bride I know yeah, we should all be so lucky that'll really. be the dream for my career wouldn't yeah it, but wouldn't it be great to be able to pretend that was your plan all along yeah yeah, yeah I kind of uh, knocked that first one off but that's I know because... I really fucked up Serpico yeah, yeah. but, but this, that was so I could do Dog Day Afternoon it, it is this is a, you know this this movie is is informative I mean I agree with all the stuff that you guys said I think it it is also a good uh, you know good to look at as a as a screenwriter for a couple of reasons number one it it shows how far a movie can get on on fun characters on chemistry between characters it's like and and I've you know if you can if you can get characters that are fun to watch then then plot and you structure are secondary you, you can you know if if you can get characters that that the audience loves they'll watch them you know just make hamburgers for an hour and a half and and probably be happy with that you know you can it's you, a fortunate fluke that ghostbusters has an interesting plot but you exactly. would just watch bill murray and harold ramis do that shit with their faces all the time yeah totally and you can so that is significant and that is something that i i would like more screenwriters of of today to take a look at because a lot of them are are focused very much on structure. They're focused on what Sid Field has left us. They're focused on what formula. Uh, you know, uh, Blake Snyder is left. actually. I don't know if Sid Field is dead or not, but um, no, he's still alive. But uh, yeah, so uh, well, but but what he he brought into the zeitgeist and everyone's very focused on page twenty, page forty five, page and and but nobody is looking at well, are we 
are we with characters who are fun to do these things with? (laughs) And often the answer is no, because nobody is writing the books about those, um, about how to do that. And it's it's hard to do that. I wonder if Um, that's why Simon Pegg and uh, Edgar White at all are like they hit everyone so hard. Yeah, because they're just writing well plotted movies, but you just love the characters. Yeah, I, I I honestly think that's the case. I mean, I don't think. Um, I, I don't think that, uh, as I recall, like Hot Fuzz didn't strike me as, as hard as Shaun of the Dead in terms of the plotting, but I still enjoyed the characters a lot, you know, and, and was, was not like, eh, like that wasn't a movie that I, I felt, oh, I wish this, that, and the other, cause I just really enjoyed spending the time with those characters. Um, so that number one, number two, uh, the, and uh, he actually he actually feels he did this too much, but it is a really good, like, if you want to study one movie to look at how reversals can work, like, he talks about in the thing as a weakness of the script, he's like, there's, there are too many reversals. Like, you can't have a conversation <laughs> without a reversal the in this fucking saying? movie. Um, and uh, and he, he thinks he did it too much, but, and that, and that may be true, because it, it does... Reversal meaning the to, trope is happening, but then it does the opposite thing it always well, does. Well, not just the trope. Not just the trope. Just but whatever the expectation is. Like, whatever the like expectation the rape is. Or the supposed rape scene. Oh, just but, wherever there's like, yeah. you're expecting one thing and it just flips But on. even a conversation, he's like, they literally can't have a conversation. Do you think we lost him? No, neither do I. Like that, you know, he's, he, he did that yeah. in every conversation. You know, you know who took that to heart though? Joss Whedon. Yeah. Joss yeah. Whedon, as far as that. Yeah. That's, that's, like, that the, that's like the hallmark of Joss Whedon yeah. dialogue and scenes. And it's true. And I don't necessarily have a have you know a, a problem with it as much as uh, you know Goldman has grown yeah, to. Yeah, Goldman, Goldman just hates young Goldman. Yeah, <laughs> that cocky kid. He was always smart mouth and. Um, but it is a really good way to look at for, uh, as structural reversals and also dialogue and and character reversals and stuff like that. So um, I think there is still a, a lot here. There are some weird moments where you know even even now sitting here, I had to remind myself, oh yeah, and that bicycle scene is in this movie yeah. too. Yeah. You know? <laughs> Apparently. <laughs> so so there there are some weird kind of missteps I think but but hey, as, William Goldman didn't write that shit. Yeah, yeah. but as as Trey said right at the beginning it's like there the the moments that you do remember so make up for the moments that you don't. So like this movie? Dislike I, this movie? I do like this movie. I'm not sure how often I would watch it. It's not a movie I grew up with so it's not like comfort it's, it's food a, it's for a me. It's quantity. But it's but but I like it. Yeah. Trey, yeah. Butch Cassidy, man. Yeah, the, the closing thought I had on what you were, what Mike was just saying is like, Goldman is, uh, he's a screenwriter, so he can't do it visually, but Goldman's basically going back and putting walkie-talkies in his young hands. Yeah. <laughs> he's, oh. like, he's like, ah, I, was, I was young, I didn't realize that that was a bad thing I was doing. I like doing. to think of it as Goldman being the change he wants to see in the world. <laughs> there you go. There's that. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's funny how, it, like I said, when we started, I... I this movie was a slightly different movie in my memory than it was when I finally rewatched it, um, and I realized like, oh, it does have some kind of slow parts. Did you remember some... it as being like like flawlessly witty the whole time? And yeah, great this, and all that? you know, and, and because again, you remember the train explosion, you remember the jump off the cliff, you remember the ending, you remember the the key the key moments that the that hold it together, which are the structure, and you know, the movie sometimes meanders a little bit in between those points, but it nails each of those points, and that's why that's what you remember. Um, I like it, uh, like I said, and again, if you think this is pretty good, I really recommend you try The Sting, because The Sting doesn't have one wasted motion in it. I think The Sting feels just as contemporary now as the day it was made. I'm more impressed by The Sting 
I watched it yesterday than I was when I first saw it in the theater when it won all the Academy Awards. It's an amazing film, The Sting. Um, this one, parts of it haven't quite held up, but I think, you know, that's, again, like everyone is saying, it's you have to recognize what it is of its time and, and what it represents. And another thing about it, and, and this kind of ties into what, what Mike was saying there, is, is that we, and God knows we do it here on the show, is, is and I... I, I always want to bring back like why we need to see more movies like this and not another goddamn Transformers movie is because every movie that's made nowadays is the hero's journey and we all know that structure and the structure is the structure. That's not the only story. That's just the only story that Hollywood wants to sell you right now. Every freaking movie is the hero's journey. This is not the hero's journey. It doesn't follow that structure and it can't be broken down into that structure and and there are other stories and this is one of them. And and the idea that what I love about seeing a movie like this is to go you can look at a movie and go I can't even figure out the structure. You know, where I don't know where to drive the first nail. Where does it go? Yeah. And and that's because this is a, this is a different movie, and they're, 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 that's possible. There are other kinds of movies, and I really like seeing a movie like this. And even nowadays, they still get made. They're just extremely rare. Um, where they, if you go in and diagram, and you can go, it seems like they didn't pay off everything they set up. And there's some things where it just kind of goes off on a tangent. But I was, if at the end you were always entertained and you you liked it and you didn't go, I hated I hated the two hours of my life I spent it. That's really all a movie needs to be and should be. That's the only deal the movie's making with you is like sit here for two hours. It's going to be worth your time. It's not promising you a payoff for every setup. It's just promising you an engaging story about whatever it's choosing to tell you and whoever it's choosing to show you tell that story. Two dudes on the lamb. Exactly. And it's like, and if you were entertained and, you know, you, you can't go, the movie failed because they didn't do a third Woodcock joke and everyone knows it's a rule of threes. <laughs> like, well, unless it's not, you know. Yeah. So so I, was, I like I, I like seeing movies like this and you, they, you, they see them less and less. You don't see them come from studios because everything has to come out of the cookie cutter now in studios. Um, except for unless you're, you know, Steven Soderbergh and can get away with, I'm going to make a big sloppy, messy movie that doesn't necessarily pay off everything. Like, okay, but that's only because you made Aaron Brockovich just this one time. Ocean's 14. But then we're making, making Ocean's 14. It is, I mean, it, that's where, that's what indie movies are, are doing. You've yeah. often talked about this. Yeah. Like, this used to be Hollywood and the this, weird, this and what Hollywood Star used Wars used to be Star indie. Star Wars is what the schlocky people were Yeah, make. and and now it's completely reversed where you have to get Beasts of the Southern Wild to get something that's not, yeah. you know, the not, hero's journey. Not out of the cookie cutter so so i think this this movie is and the sting doesn't the sting is not the hero's journey either so you know it's not going to diagram but i think the sting i think the sting you can say here's the structure of it even if it's not the hero's journey structure but you can absolutely see the plot because many writers to this day still say the sting is the best script ever written in terms of oh my god talk about bulletproof it's just it's the plot is just locked in from you know character and plot everything is just working you know in sync the whole time it's not a wasted motion and it all just hangs together perfectly. So, so, um, you know, but I like, I like, you know, a movie that just kind of, well, here's the movie we made. Hopefully you have fun. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's like, I like a movie that didn't, didn't necessarily like, but wait, we forgot to connect that one dot that Sid field says you has to connect. Well, for today, screw Sid field, you know, just let's make him fun. Movie. <gasps> I know. I said, that I went name, there. That should have been the name of the new podcast. For today, screw Sid Field. Just for today. Just, it'd be fun. Well, we, we, we fillet Sid Field more often than we don't yeah. on this Yeah, podcast, that's true. But so. like, I, like, as Trey said before, like, I would love for this show just to become like, okay, we did four years. Four years yeah. of War of the Worlds and Transformers. Like, I think, I think 
we have given you an adequate gateway hole that if you want to come in and hang out with us, you can. We should just do movies where every single time an episode goes up, that movie, you've never seen it before, but you know for a fact it's either markedly or interestingly good or markedly or interestingly bad. And let's 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 learn more about films. Why don't we why don't we just like totally dive off into the deep end of filmic structure and <laughs> Start doing Warhol and, oh God. and <laughs> on the Fellini Silver Globe and the commentary from Bergman. I don't know about that. Yeah, yeah, see, I would, I would get. Oh, we just lost Dorkman. I, I, I draw the line at. Well, okay, you had a camera and you had some people who were willing to stand in front of it, and then you just had some wankery for two hours. That, <laughs> that's good for you, but I don't necessarily need to. Yeah, see let's do that the fucking my, third man for my own let's entertainment. Do it. But you know, movies like like, especially like schlocky movies. Sometimes like the Corman movies and so on. You know, it's like, well, they didn't know jack about structure, the grindhouse thing. But once in a while, they would just stumble into something that was phenomenally entertaining and just accidentally really kind of made a weird kind of sense. Um, One of the ones that really, really big aberrations I I still think of is Omega Man, which is like a studio movie. It's from Warner Brothers, but in Warner Brothers, kind of like, we don't know what we're doing anymore. We were bought by a, you know, a, a business company. We don't even know if we make movies anymore. They made this bizarro movie about the end of the world and the post-apocalypse starring Charlton Heston. They, you know, that movie doesn't know what the hell it is. <laughs> and it's phenomenally entertaining. It's, it's one of my favorite movies ever. So, you know, it's like it, it, the structure of that movie, who the hell knows what the structure of that movie is, but it's insane. So, well, this has anyway. been, see, we meandered a bit, but as long as you were entertained, <laughs> that's right. That's all that matters. This it's a contemporary been, movie to this one. It's what a are you doing, movie? movie. You Early can always find episodes at friendsinyourhead.com, uh, twitter.com slash friendsinyourhead, and facebook.com slash friendsinyourhead. Uh, Gmail us. Come on, send us an email. Do we never have like a like an old CBS mailbag. Send us letters and shit. We, should do, a, we should do a mailbag episode. Oh, like yeah. you yeah. have letters you can read. For, we can do yeah, do it as an interview. We got letters. We anyway, letters. send us a... Uh, just don't want to read the letters you've email at friendsinyourhead.gmail.com. Go to iTunes, get a brand new episode every single week. Go to the forum. It's a wonderful community of people. Log in and register. I'll tell you why movie posters are all awful now uh, and uh, uh, Holden Hill designed and maintained the website he is a mensch in Matt Feta Veda he's a mensch too didn't do shit on this episode but he's a mensch <laughs> well, for like the last three years but yeah, you know but, but he was there in the beginning and we doesn't it feel good it. just to hear the word Matt Feta it does Veda, no it's yeah. weird when you don't say it Matt Feta Veda is good goddamn people and until next week my name is T Christie <laughs> Brian Feta Veda Mike Scott Robert Leroy Parker <laughs> this has been what are you doing movie <laughs> I, wow, that, that guy kind of rapish. That's, yeah, you, yeah. It's okay. you know I don't like it when now you shake do that. out your hair. You, yeah, yeah. No, it's like I'm just like sitting in the room waiting for the podcast to come in, holding a gun <laughs> on just, it. Like, what are you doing, weird. movie? I thought that was going to be hot, but it just turned out to be weird. <laughs> Sorry about that. Good night. Good night. Seriously, watch the goddamn sting. <laughs> Trendsinyourhead.com.